Welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 19. It's actually like our 20th recording, but we're only counting 19. So we got the regular crew again, and it's kind of slow right now in the Berserk world. No new episodes, so we're just kind of biding our time. Got a couple side projects going on. Uh, nothing too exciting to announce right now, but uh, one of our four members, M, has, has helped us as helping us redesign or re-implement some parts about the encyclopedia. So the encyclopedia, of course, being like, you know, the planned compendium of Berserk knowledge, one-stop shop for everything you need Berserk. Uh, it's kind of laid dormant for seven years, eight years. It's been a long time since we did anything real to it. But hopefully that'll start getting moving pretty soon now that we have a quicker way to update stuff. So thanks to M for that, putting the starting touches on something that could be cool eventually. But today, um, well, we're not going to get directly into Berserk first. Uh, I always like to ask what you guys have been up to. So, what's up? What have you guys been doing recently? Azil, Griff, whoever wants to start. Uh, go ahead, Griff. <laughs> oh, well, let's see. I mean, my only big news is the technical difficulties I'm having here. I've fried my, uh, my video card on my laptop by playing Diablo 3, Mass Effect 3, you know, Batman Arkham City on it, you know, it's like a cheap laptop, so that wasn't good for it, and it and it told me to stop, and so I'm on uh, my girlfriend's computer today, hopefully that'll work out. I also, I don't know, should we save this for the game section, but I did get new Super Mario Brothers 2 last night to try it out, because I never played oh. the first one. Hmm? Did, you, did you download it? Yeah, I downloaded it. Also, I, was, I, I just wanted to see, you know, it was interesting to me downloading a, like a, an in-stores Nintendo game. Huh. Well, when you said your computer told you to stop, was it like a, you know, uh, intervention type thing or was it a I'm dead kind of thing? Oh, it was yesterday morning. It, if it had given me any warning, I would have copied all my stuff off. But I just couldn't turn it on yesterday morning when I woke up. I woke up and it didn't. <laughs> Maybe you can pull some stuff off there eventually. Yeah. And Azil, you took an adventure or something like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, the biggest news, I guess, for me is that I'm moving. I'm oh. going to... And, and you lived that one place for how long? Uh, I think it's been uh, seven years or wow. eight years. Mm. Yeah, but the place is gotten too shitty, so yeah, we're going to be moving uh, in a month or two. And uh, yeah, other than that, I guess uh, <laughs> I've been going into woods pretty much these days. You know, the place where I live is surrounded by woods. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, I saw a tower. There's been a, a medieval tower in the woods for a long time on a hill overlooking the whole valley. And I never managed to get there. And yeah, recently, yeah, actually, uh, I ventured there. And uh, after a while of trekking and trying to track the place, I actually found it. it was, that was pretty cool. I guess that's my big, uh, big activity of the of the week. Yeah, I remember seeing it uh, when we were, we were walking around town back in 2005, and I remember saying, "Like, can't we just go over there?" And you were like, "Dude, it's like super far, and who even knows where it is?" But how did you ultimately find it? Like, how did you track it down? Yeah, actually, I went there and tried to just track it down by myself. So I like uh, wandered in the woods for maybe two hours and a half. And I, I couldn't find it. So I went back uh, to my place and I looked over uh, using Bing Maps because uh, for some reason they are more precise than Google Maps when it comes to my place. <laughs> so I, I checked uh, you know, the woods meticulously until I found actually the, the place. And it's just lost in the middle of the, of the woods. So I marked it down and 
you know, on my phone, and I went back and tracked it down with my phone's GPS. Wow! Did you go solo, or was Puello there with you? No, no, I went solo. It's oh. it's a pre- it's a, it's pretty rough terrain, you know. So not not fitting for lady. I went back. Did you brief. Like bring I don't. Jet- <laughs> no, but yeah. I, I, you know, I might have actually, and and I got a lot of uh, spider bites because mm. the place is, cr- you know, it's full of spiders everywhere because there's not much uh, passage from uh, humans. <laughs> so actually, I got bitten all over, all over my back, my legs, everywhere. It was a uh, yeah, pretty, That's pretty gross. Yeah, well, you know, you've got to pay the toll to pass through the woods. <laughs> That's just the way. Did you get like a face full of spider webs? Oh, yeah. I mean, countless times. You know, that's the worst part. I mean, getting bitten is fine, but, you know, you get spider webs in the face continuously. Yeah. You know, even I, I had a, you know, I just took some uh, some branch, you know, dead branch of a tree and, and tried to just, you know, sweep them aside. But there's just so many, you keep getting them in the face. Yeah. Yeah, we, <sighs> we, we, we moved uh, about a month or two ago, and the place we live now is, I wouldn't say, spider-infested is the wrong word. It's a little harsh for what it actually is. You see spiders every now and then. So we have a shed out back, and whenever I have to go through it, I always bring a stick, and I like wave it in front of me like I'm like some kind of crazy <laughs> old man about to cast a spell or something just to make sure there's no spider webs on it. But that's life out in the rural areas of the country. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I guess uh, my big news is uh, me and my wife are going to have a kid pretty soon. Uh, she's been pregnant since, uh, well, she's six months, seven months. Uh, she's due in, at the end of November. So there will be a little Walter around here pretty soon. And it's going to be a boy. We have not named it yet. Everyone asks those two questions. Is it a boy and have you named it? Um, uh, I mean, she has some names picked out, but I, I'm superstitious, I guess you could say, about naming before you meet the person or meet the kid. I think the name should fit the personality. That's just me. So the name the kid ultimately gets will probably be the one my wife picks. I mean, that's just how it goes. But <laughs> we'll see. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited, and that's kind of been uh, it's keeping me busy a lot of times, uh, having a pregnant wife. Uh, in addition to work and her work, it's just kept us very busy. So if I've been scatterbrained with anybody, that's probably why. And it's going to get more busy, of course, once the kid comes. So we're all preparing the house for that and getting everything in, underway. So Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if I wonder if you'll be, still be able to record podcasts uh, when you know the, the boy is born. Probably. It'll just have more background noise, right? I mean, like Nomad <laughs> did it. Nomad had kids yelling in the background he has twins so i mean so yeah i think it could probably still work <clears throat> but uh berserk encyclopedia work might take a back seat to you know my child so, <laughs> yeah a few again. more years yes yeah, it's, it's taken the back seat my entire life so <laughs> anyway uh the topic we have for berserk this week is battles but like we'll, we'll see how that goes i know that's really vague in general but hey Battles are a big part of Berserk, so let's see what we can do with that topic. Um, I made a couple notes about this. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, just to start it off, do you think battles are like a characteristic trait of the series, or do you think that's kind of an unfair uh, description of the series? Well, it depends what you mean by characteristic. I mean, there are a lot of battles, and yeah, I I guess it defines Berserk in a way. I mean, it's a... I mean... You know, aside from all the physical stuff and, you know, the character in development and all of that, 
battles are a big part of the series and also, you know, one of the main reasons people like the series, I guess. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very important part of the series, of course. All the fights and whether it's just battles uh, one against one or more, you know, more vast stuff, you know, armies fighting each other. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'd agree. As soon as you asked that question, you know, my immediate thought was, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, but when you, when you made the second part of the question, you know, is that fair? Like, I don't think it's like, uh, I guess people could use it like to disparage it, like saying it's only battles, but that's that wouldn't be accurate anyway. And even the battles, like the point I made about like even the big sort of like army versus army battles that are depicted is that it usually always, even those come down eventually to like, the individual level, you know, you have to focus on something. It isn't usually just, it's not like a movie where you can just sort of like pan across a giant battle the whole time and like just, you know, see that going on. I mean, there has to be a focus mm-hmm. in this medium and that's, you know, usually what it comes down to. It'll either be, you know, it'll be a focus on Guts if he's in the middle of a big battle or Griffith or, you know, some of the more prominent apostles more recently. Sure. So, Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I meant. Was I wanted to make sure? I mean, yeah, yeah. When people talk about Berserk battles or big battles and big fights, are probably some of the first things they'll tell their friends about. I would imagine. And like, if you look at any Berserk imagery across the net, the first thing you're going to see is like guts screaming with holding a sword or something like that. And of course, there's more to the series than that, but that's like the iconic imagery of the series. I think is you know battles. Uh, of course, Dragon Slayer and Hand is another signature thing for the series. But I think battles are also pretty key but of course there are more elements to the series anything anyone listening to this podcast that's like a obviously obvious things so yeah well and some of the major emotional like character climaxes and revealing moments are you know in battles and duels you know specifically you know between like guts and griffith or recently guts and serpico mm-hmm. that's you know that'll be the climax of like you know certain like tensions and relationships and where things things get settled in a very organic way I mean, the Eclipse is one, you know, volume and a half long, you know, battle sequence, basically. But obviously, major things are happening along with it as well. So, yeah. Mm. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, people may or may not know this, but I did a Berserk a Guts kill roster. And what it does is keeps track of every single kill, well, you know, so called kill Guts has made throughout the series. Of course, often he maims people, and whether they actually get buried or not, you know, you never actually know. But let's just say he killed all those people in that list. Well, if you go through and watch panel by panel, uh, shot for shot and different angles Mir uses in these battle sequences, it's actually extremely consistent with where what with the action that are, that's happening on page. I don't think a lot of people pay attention enough to notice that, but it's pretty awesome if you go back and look at some of these even really early battles like Volume 1, 2, and even like 6 or 7. You know, if, if Guts hits a guy, chops his arm off, and then, then the next panel changes an angle, you'll see that guy in the background generally or an arm on the ground. That's an example of something that would happen. Now, I think – I don't know of anybody else in the industry that's creating battles at the scope that Mira does it along with the detail that Mira does it. And again, as people know, I don't read a ton of manga, but the, that, the, the among that, that I've read, nobody is doing anything like the level of what Mira is doing. And correct me if I'm wrong, anybody else. 
Well, no, he's, it's true, he's very meticulous. And uh, in that regard, as well as any other regard, Berserk is very unique for that, I think, in uh, not just in the Japanese uh, manga industry, but in the comic book industry in general, graphic novels. I mean, regardless of whether you check uh, American comic books or European comic books or Japanese, Chinese, anything you want, I don't think we're going to find that level of detail very often, if ever. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's the, especially recently with like when he's been like, he has these amazing, amazingly ridiculous two, two page spreads where he'll like draw like the Kushin army and you'll see every bit of detail on their armor and everything. Like you can look at each one and they each look like, it looks like as if, you know, it was just like a one page like profile of that soldier, you mm -hmm. know, only there's like 10,000 of them. And yeah. I'll look at those and, and I'll think like, well, there there was that uh, three month break, <laughs> like right here. It's like <laughs> the level of detail is like ridiculous. Where it's like, wow, this is just it's too much. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much he actually pencils in all of those little faces, but uh, I, I mean, who knows? I, I imagine he does a lot of the work, but I don't, I don't think it takes him that much time to create the art. But I don't actually know, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the battles have certainly have. They, do you think they've increased in quality or, or, or scope, or have they stayed about the same, but the detail has gotten a little bit better? To me, it's like basically it's an even playing field. To, in my opinion, as far as the scope of the battles, the what's depicted, it's just been kind of a different graphical style to them. Like if you look at Volume Eight, uh, or actually Volume Seven, the way Doldry opens, there's a couple just huge wide shots of you know hundreds and hundreds of soldiers and you can get that same level of scope in something like volume 30 or 29 when you're doing all those big battles well i think uh i don't think mira drew as many soldiers on uh, one panel as he did uh, in Ritanis before i mean yeah it's the same yeah. scope you see in even in volume five and you you have scenes where it's you know armies fighting each other and doing battle, but you know that kind of detail where you see really individually thousands of uh, of soldiers I don't think he's done it before written and and I think uh, yeah he didn't spend three months just doing that, but uh yeah i I think he did spend longer than usual for during these episodes, and he actually commented on it uh, on young animals so Maybe not, you know, months to draw one episode, but yeah, I, I think he spent a lot of time on it. And that's also why he, you know, at the time they were hiring new assistants because uh, I think some of his old assistants, you know, were let go or they just, you know, went to do their own thing. And he hired uh, a couple more people than he had previously, you know, I think specifically because he felt he needed to, you know, step it up a bit more and add even more stuff in the background than he did before. Yeah, I was actually looking at the turnover for the background artists uh, last night. And there's a big Japanese site that completes them or shows all of them across all the different volumes. And he started picking up diff different guys, like a whole new crew between 29 and 32 or so. He's kept the yep. same guys ever since. But yeah, that's a, that, that, those particular volumes were in preparation for those large, you know, Vertanis battles and also the ones uh, near Wyndham. So I, I think it's probably... Uh, a sign that he, those those artists are put to work like mules on those. Yeah. That's my. I was going to ask: Do you think any of them like end up quitting because of the workload, or like you know, like oh. injury, like concerns, like hand cramps, <laughs> like things like that? There's a, there's a turnover of about once every three or four years. He'll he'll change teams. Not he won't like 
fire a whole lot of them or something like that. But they'll individually they'll be replaced over like a course of like three or four years usually. I think the one he's kept the longest started in volume twenty seven or something like that. So it hasn't been around that long. So yeah, but well, you know, it's true. But uh, before that, uh, he had kept uh, the same guys for a long time. I, I mean, uh, it might have been twenty volumes. I'm not sure uh, it, it was exactly the same guys, but uh, I know uh, he's kept them for quite a while, actually. Previously, you know, before the big uh, overall, he had kept the same guys for, for a long time. Hmm. We, we've said before that Miura, uh, in the most recent anime movie, he commented on how he really appreciated the large battle scenes and the scope of them and the attention to detail with them. Uh, for a guy who's interested in that kind of stuff, he, he really kind of gets that sort of, in my, in my opinion, he kind of gets that castle warfare siege stuff kind of all out of his system in the golden age. But you can tell he's the kind of guy that wants to diversify these battles because after golden age stuff, they're all kind of all over the place. If, if you look at the the type of battles that there are, there are humans versus humans, of course, and there's humans versus monsters, monsters versus monsters. It kind of r- runs the gamut of what you can all imagine. He doesn't, what I'm trying to get at is, it's uh, it doesn't repeat scenarios. You know, he's always mixing it up. He doesn't take the easy way out with these large scale battles. He's always changing things, different elements, who's involved in them, and so it makes it makes all these different big battles very distinct. Even when you're kind of culling your mind through what's happened in the series, always all of them are very unique. I mean, even Doldry, which is a human versus human, it has a very unique feel and, and imagery to it than all the other battles in the, in, in the series, which I can appreciate. Yeah, well, it reminds me of what he said once uh, regarding, you know, not really sticking to historical accuracy or actually not sticking to it at all. Where he just said uh, he was basically drawing uh, what feels cool to him. So I think it's also the same case uh, with battles mm-hmm. where he just drew a huge, you know, battle of humans versus humans with, of course, some apostles in the midst in their human form. And uh, for Ritanis, and after after that, when it came to Ganishka, he just decided to go monsters versus monsters. And I think he just felt it was, you know, it would be awesome to see. And uh, I think it was a case. So, yeah, I, I think he just, like you said, he's trying to diversify it. And at the same time, he's just going for what is the coolest stuff possible. Mm-hmm. And he's even, uh, what's also interesting is that he's taken it like, He's done every sort of variation, you know, you can on land. I mean, like you pointed out, he doesn't, he really doesn't do the same, like, kind of battle twice. There's always a new, you know, sort of, uh, there's a different rub to each one, like. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing sea battles, too, which I wonder if we're going to get, like, even, like, if he's going to continue to, like, you know, if what was going on with the pirates and everything was just sort of the beginning and eventually where there's going to be some all at sea, you know, battle just with a ton of ships, just for the hell of it. Just because, I mean, it'll obviously have a plot point to it, but I mean, also because, you know, it'd be really cool to see and just something <laughs> different for him to draw. I think if they, if the readers had more of a character touchstone than simply Roderick, then it might be likely. But because, you know, the way we understand those battles and are, are connected to those battles is pretty much through Roderick as the commander. I don't think they're yeah. going to be too many mm-hmm. more of them than we already have seen. But they, I mean, they, they could. I mean, I see that kind of stuff as like, I don't know, that's like an in-game scenario to me is like large naval battle. I just don't know who the opponent would be from here on out, that's all. But you'll notice that uh, as far as the sea battles go, it's the same case than for the land battles. Where we first saw uh, Roderick against the pirates doing a strictly, uh, yeah. I would say almost historically accurate uh, battle. 
with very detailed, you know, tactics, which are actually tactics that were used, you know, at the time and everything. And Muir actually, you know, he, uh, would say, informed himself uh, in detail in order to prepare these. He even went to a museum uh, for naval, uh, naval stuff and stuff. And uh, afterwards, you get the battle against the monsters, and from them, it, it goes on and on with more monstrous opponents. At first, it was just a ghost ship, then it became the monsters, and uh, yeah, so, so on. Yeah, how much do you think, I mean, you know, you've been to more museums than me and are generally more learned in uh, this kind of stuff, but how closely do you think Mira keeps to those historically accurate battles? Well... When it came to the um, to the naval stuff, it was yeah, it was pretty correct. I mean, it, it's the same tactics that were used at the time, and mm-hmm. you know the fact he mentions Roderick as you know cannons that shoot farther and such. It uh, mirrors what happened. Uh, you know, at the time England developed a, a new you know a new method and a new cannons, mm-hmm. and they gained superiority uh, you know at sea over the opponents at the time. So it's stuff that he inspired himself from uh, real warfare. So, yeah, I mean, as far as that goes, uh, it was pretty accurate. You know, the, the thing is, he's going to, to go for accuracy for some stuff, and for some of the stuff, he's going to just discard it. Mm-hmm. But the result is that the mix feels real to the reader, you know? It feels, right. uh, you know... Yeah. More, so, yeah, that, that's uh, the cool part. Well, the, the neat thing is that he uses, like, accuracy and sort of the realistic approach as the baseline. You know, the first battle was a very straightforward, like, you know, like you said, like a very sort of accurately depicted kind of sea battle. And yeah. then from there, he can throw on, you know, all sort, like all sorts of, you know, special Mira toppings, you know, with monsters and tentacles and <laughs> everything else. And, you know, you'll yeah. and it, it just becomes more interesting. And so, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, it's, 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 that's exactly that, you know. At first, we see Roderick taking advantage of the wind and performing maneuvers and such. And then the next battle, you just see a ship that can plunge at the water and, you know, basically, yeah, it does stuff that's impossible to do and uh, Roderick has to adapt to it. So it first, you know, makes it clear that he's a master commander and very, uh, you know, very competent at what he's doing. And then it puts <coughs> him against uh, impossible odds. So, yeah, it's, it's the same stuff he's done with guts and in other situations. I also so, think by like, oh, sorry. No, no, please go ahead. Oh, I was also going to say, also by showing that stuff in the first battle, you know, sort of the accuracy of it and, you know, what Roderick is doing, it means, you know, you know, you don't have to do that every time later on. Yep. You, just, you, give it, you give it the benefit of the doubt so that even when it's just sort of like doing stuff that maybe doesn't even, you know, they don't have to explain everything at, at that point. Then it's like you just sort of say like, okay, they know what they're doing and then they can yeah. just do, you know, basic, you know, adventuring or whatever and that's actually when you know the battles become a little more a little more interesting where you can just yeah like have a tentacle monster attack the ship and you, know, you don't have to worry about the, right. the accuracy anymore it, it lays yeah. the gl- the groundwork for that character's kind of experience or knowledge so yeah and that reminds me of um it's similar because if you think of what Miura must be doing when he's researching these things, he's probably looking at historical battles and and, and troop formations and all the different things you could do but then, of course, he, he does his own thing and he adds a, a, a curveball, for example, uh, outside of Wyndham in volume 33 or 34, all the troops, troop formations that are defending against these giant Ganeshkalings. You know, obviously it has no historical basis, but he's putting kind of a, a realistic touch on what these kind of troop formations might do 
in in the face of this you know, overbearing monster, which that, to me that makes volume thirty four look really impressive. You have on one side you have the crazy monsters who aren't taking any forms at all, and they have the other troops that are kind of like in phalanx formations defending against all these things. So you can tell he's kind of having fun with the knowledge that he does have and putting it in an otherworldly scenario to see you know how they would all form. I think it looks really cool. Looking back on it, I think Volume 34 probably has my favorite battles in the whole series. Uh, next to the Zod one, of course, one-on-one versus a big troop battle. 34 is just... I'm kind of fresh from it, but it's really, really impressive. Love that volume a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would have to agree with that. I mean, as yeah. far as pure battles go, it's it's very impressive. And the fact, you know, the, the fight against Ganishka himself, I mean, the fact he's just, you know, lumbering in the background, crushing things and spitting, you know, <laughs> giant fireballs, it's got a very apocalyptic feel to it. And at the same time, we're seeing apostles, you know, many of them, you know, it's the full apostle army is unleashing its true potential, unleashing its evil, uh, as Griffiths would say. So, uh, yeah, it, it's awesome on, bo- on both sides. And I think what's amazing is that, you know, the reader ends up cheering for the apostles, which right. is not what he's supposed to be doing. Like, you're cheering up for the bad guys. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because it's got the, the the thing that stands out to me about that battle is what, you know, stands out to everyone and it is it's the humans and the monsters fighting, you know, together. Right. And yeah. just the depictions of that. And it's not even, you know, like formations and everything. It does have that. Like it has them like riding apostles in certain yeah, ways. Exactly. Like yeah. their spears sticking out in the exactly. apostle charging. Things that are like, you know, kind of like cool, but also some things that are comical. And even like those weird moments like where that... They had, like, scenes where, like, you know, an apostle was actually hurt by, you know, some of the Ganeshka monsters, and then, like, human soldiers would charge to, like, save it, and then the apostle would, like, you know, get back up and, like, jump in on their behalf. <laughs> like, there was, like, they actually depicted, like, camaraderie. Oh, like, yeah. between them. it's vice yeah. versa as well. There's yeah, yeah, exactly. When the humans are attacked and one of, like, the bird apostles, like, gets pissed off and just, like, rushes it. Yeah. Know? I never, I never thought I would see humans and apostles fighting side by side. Like it's, you know, we were asked a couple of weeks ago what, you know, what thing we we didn't see coming. Basically, like to me, that's one of them. I mean, there's no way I could have seen, I could have foreseen that. Honestly, I thought when apostles unleashed their form, that would be it. Like the end game. Like, oh well, I guess they're demons. Uh, you know, not gonna be well, pals no, and, with them anymore. Well, yeah, there was that, and there was that moment where they sort of asked that question, and yeah. uh, Sonia, you know, has her moment, and uh, and I guess it, she didn't even really. Well, anyway, it's nothing important, but I was going to get to the point at the end is even after the battle, it wasn't like the apostles, you know, even like woke up and were like, well, time for dinner. You know, I'm I'm famished after that. <laughs> they, right. they all go walking into Falconia like together. Like I think the human soldiers were still like walking next to and even like riding on some of the apostles. Yeah, they were. Yeah, well, it was I, I like think it's, I think it's signaling like a whole different like treatment. I mean, for the, the, this was a new experience for the apostles as well. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's going to completely change the dynamic between those two. And now how long that truce lasts, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, they've been, you know, apostles had been weaned off of humans over the course of their campaign. So I don't think it was that difficult for them. Because they keep yeah. complaining well, about they it. They got you know? to eat the, the cushions, I think. Right, right. <laughs> well, a couple of them complained that they'd forgotten what the taste of humans well, like. And yeah, like. that's true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and it's a, it's a good case uh a good example of a battle that uh, I'd say is like a preview or it introduces a new concept like the battle you know puts human and apostles together and at the end of the battle it's uh, you know the advent of Falconia and of Fantasia and like it's a new world 
And so yeah. what, what happens during the battle, the fact they were brought together, well, in, the, in that new world, it's, it's like it's all possible. It's, uh, you know, even the, there's you know, even a talk uh, between Silat and uh, that Kushan who works for Griffiths <laughs> about it. Yeah, exactly. About it, the fact, uh, the, you know, Griffiths is going to bring about a new world where things will, that weren't possible before will be possible from now on. And I think, yeah, it's a good example of it. So, again, it's a, it's a good example of how Mira uses battle scenes to introduce concepts that will be used later on. And so it's very seamless, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not just, it's not gratuitous. And that's why it's not, you know, that's why the battles, you were asking earlier if it's unfair to say Berserk is defined by its battles, but it's not like the battles are there just for show, you know. Even when it's mostly just cool stuff being shown around, there's always a point. There's always something yeah. deeper going on. Uh, the reason I started off with that question was, <clears throat> I was reading through Volume 7, and uh, there's, there's a build-up to Doldry. You know, there's a lot of talking back and forth, preparing for the battle. But when Guts takes his first swing in that battle, it's this gorgeous two-page spread where the art's very like visceral-looking, and you can tell Mira was like, it's kind of like he was holding back. You know, he's like waiting for the moment where he can finally show off this awesome <laughs> scene with Guts swinging his sword and cutting off like five people's heads. Now, that's all I mean. Is like it seems like certain parts of the series build up to this big payoff, basically, and, and it, does that payoff kind of define the series? You know what I mean? Obviously, yeah. there's, there's build up to it. So, but but I think yeah, it's a case. But I see. I don't think something. Uh, I mean, I don't think something shameful. You know, like yeah, the story could be all dialogue and no action, but it it wouldn't be better. It wouldn't sure. be better off. So the fact sure. there's a there's a good uh, a good mix of the two. You know, of everything. It's just there's you know a, a good scenario. Uh, you know, something going on in the background, and there's emotional development for the characters, and there's battle scenes. So you put all that together. That's what makes Berserk a, a masterpiece. If yeah. one you know element was missing, it would be lessened. Yeah, I was gonna say like even that shot you were talking about, and it is a very cool shot. It wouldn't have the same effect or payoff if we weren't you know as invested in guts as we are from even the build up to that battle. It wouldn't have the same significance. So it's like, yeah, even just looking at it from like a cool, like it wouldn't even be, you know, you you know, you, there's plenty of like uh, mangas that we can look at and see like, you know, bloody battle shots. But most of them we just look at and, you know, be like, what? Well, who cares? You know, it's right. not it's as just, good as Berserk. <laughs> you know, but well, a lot of it's just be, noise. Yeah, a lot of it. And, you know, because of, you know, all that, like a shot like that isn't noise. You know, it's like, wow, that's really, you know, it's great. It's great to see that character doing it. I guess the point of my question was like to an outside observer, so someone uninitiated from Berserk. I wonder what the the mental image they have of the series is. That's all. Oh, you know, yeah, they they can dismiss it that way. I, I live with one, so there you go. <laughs> I get that experience. That's the series with the big swords and battles. Yeah. <laughs> Walter, friend of Berserk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else did I have here? Um, Oh, actually, so you had, you said something interesting at the very beginning of the podcast, right before we started recording, about how these battles are not both not just army versus army, but they're also depictions of individuals. Yeah, and uh, well, I said it again. Uh, oh, did you? I meant to, sorry. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Also, I mean, it always comes down to that level where there's always, you know, it becomes that individual focus anyway. It's like we get, you know. That paneling sort of sets it up, but even like what we were just uh, discussing, like in that human apostle battle, how he like he shows like very specific scenes 
of them working together to bring up, you know, certain emotions in the reader. You know, very, you know, just it's very purposeful. And it always comes down to like individual characters and things like that. So it's like even when there's a few panels or two page spreads, that's always sort of that is always it's it's in the background in a way. It's yeah. sort of set up and then it always comes back to like, you know, how people are feeling, what their motives are, their, you know, I don't want to say yeah. like inspiration, but like, you know, what they're what they're taking into the battle with them is always, you sure. know, a big deal. That's like shown yeah. on the page. And, even, uh, uh, I, was going to, I was going to say there's even character development during the battles. Like going back to the the battle uh, between you know the Ganesh Khan, you know creatures and uh, the apostles. Uh, you know, it, it uh, there's a development of Sonia's bond with Irvine when he comes to save her. It actually mm-hmm. his apostle form is also revealed for the first time. So there's also that reveal. But uh, yeah, it shows uh, he saves her. It, it you know it's a, it takes us back to the times they spent uh, at a, you know a campfire. You know the two of mm-hmm. them. So and the same goes for Doldre and uh, other battles where yeah there's something you know Guts sword is broken. Zod throws him one. You know you see Casca and Griffith's reaction. So all that kind of stuff is uh, it's always very intricate and you know it's it's never never just simple battle scenes, you know, there's always something deeper going on. Well, there's, a, never, cool moment. there's a cool moment in that scene when, with, against Bascone where Guts kind of like strengthens his resolve because his fight with Zod, and that kind of is yeah. something that stays with him throughout as well. Uh, is, he knows he's had tougher opponents before, and of yeah. course that kind of goes downhill when he faces against Wild because he's a possible as well, but you get the idea, you know, there's there's stuff going yeah. on internally throughout all these all these. Uh, actually, fights. I've got he, a, a small- now, I was mm-hmm. going to say, I've got a small anecdote with that, is that uh, when I first read the manga, you know, I, I'd seen the anime before. When mm-hmm. I saw that scene of Guts remembering the fight uh, against Zod and, you know, you know, saying there's still hope, it's, it's not nearly as bad. I, I, I think it was, uh, yeah, one of the you know, most awesome moments uh, for me at the time in the manga. It was really um, amazing. I was really yeah, taken with it's a good volume. It's a, it's a, also, go ahead, Griff. You've been I was going to say during... No, I was going to say, during that wild fight, like, uh, you mentioned how it didn't work out there, but it actually, he did notice the difference, because he noticed that, you know, he still remember, you know, Zod is always sort of his, like, his ultimate ideal, like, you know, that was, like, his best example of, like, the strongest person he's ever fought, and he thought, you know, how wild was his strong, but he could tell he wasn't, like, it was all reflexes. Right. Yeah. That moment where he realizes, like, this guy isn't even a very good fighter, he's just, like, faster than me, you know, he just... He's just doing it all naturally. He doesn't actually know like what he's doing. He's not very skilled. And so yeah. it's interesting just that even then he does sort of remember that. And it's like, I don't know, they, those things always, you know, for like the reader that's paying attention, it always like stays with you, those little details. Yeah. That's yeah. another fight that I think is it, pretty freaking awesome. I, I love volume 11 because of Vialde. Because he does things we don't expect. You know, again, it's one of those things where Miura turns the tables on what you think is, is, is possible in battles when you're, whenever you introduce a supernatural element into a traditionally, you know, uh, a traditional battle, like a one-on-one fight against uh, that prisoner guy, and the guy ends up on upside down on top of like a spire. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> or he'll pick up a tree with one hand and smash it against an entire army. <laughs> his his army. Stuff. Yeah, his <laughs> that- army. Punch a boulder, uppercut a boulder. That's fun stuff. I love that volume. 
You know, interestingly about Wild is like he does like you know Zod never does that stuff and like mm-hmm. probably never would like you know just the same way he doesn't like sort of gratuitously eat people, whereas <laughs> Wild is he's sort of like the id you know yeah. like you know he just he'll like he'll do all that he's basically really enjoying the Apostle ride as much as possible. Yep. <laughs> whereas Zod yeah. is still sort of like stuffy by comparison, <laughs> very yeah. proper. In the back of your head, you can tell a lot of the apostles probably regret their decision. Like, yeah, I got power, but I sure am pissed off all the time. But we all, he's just living it up, man. He wouldn't want to be anywhere yeah. else. He's satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Oh, um, this is kind of rhetorical, but I, I thought of it while we were talking about uh, Sonya uh, bringing humans back to their senses, saying that, you know, we're all members of the Band of the Falcon. It doesn't matter if they're demons. Her argument doesn't really take into it the fact that Griffith is also a demon. I wonder if that's like going to be a chink in the armor there. Do you think they'll care at this point? Well, or have they, they, were, they, were, they were wondering that at the time, I think, when she interrupted. But the like, question is never was, answered. Really. It's never really... Oh, well, yeah, it is sort of just a distraction at that right, point. Exactly. Uh, but, I mean, they that's what they were wondering when she interrupted and she sort of told... I mean, her, like, her blanket statement was sort of, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that's going to... If that's going to hold up once, you know, I don't know if he's going to be making many appearances as Femto in the future, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting point. Yeah, uh, I mean, know, I, he he went he had to fly up to Ganeshka before he, of course, transformed. He probably yeah. wasn't. Well, I meant I meant public appearances. I'm sure he'll be yeah. turning into Femto all the time and <laughs> doing yeah, you know yeah, nasty yeah. things. But uh, that's what I mean. It, it, that it wasn't a public thing, you know. Yeah, you know, and you know, I don't know. Oh, go ahead, Az. I was going to say, I think uh, by the time he turns up as Femto in public, I don't think it will matter very much what uh, the people think, you know? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> oh, no, I didn't vote for this guy. <laughs> no, I was actually wondering, like, the the whole, like... Uh, it was you that said it, Walter. You, uh, you made me think about the future going forward. You were saying how long this is going to last, like this whole human and apostles. Like, yeah. was this just sort of in the moment, you know, and maybe they're still transfixed on Falconia. And so, you know, the bond is not broken yet. But if like how things would work going forward and cynically, you know, these guys are evil and we have to think, well, it can't, it can't last for the humans. It can't be this good going forward where they're just weaned off of eating, you know, human flesh. They're going to get and hungry, I'm, basically. Well, yeah, and I'm trying to think of like, you know, how could they make the society work where everyone would kind of accept it, but at the same time, like, to an outsider, like, when Guts comes in, it would just make him, you know, like, do the Guts barf, you know, emoticon, <laughs> you know, seeing it. And I was thinking, like, just about, you know, apostles and God Hand, and, you know, like, what if they had, like, sacrifices? Yeah, that, like, of people course. were sort of, yeah, people sort of, like, yeah, of course, sacrifice, you know, in, like, actual, like, you know, ceremonies that everyone participated in, and it was, like, yeah. an honor, you know, to be sacrificed and such. Yeah, you know, stuff like that where it's like people could actually, you know, the human society, plenty of civilizations have done that on their own. Sounds like Mayan culture, actually. Yep. Yeah, or, you know, whatever. And uh, so, I I don't know, this made me think about that, like, going forward. Like, this is a total aside, but uh, I don't know. No, no, it's a valid discussion. I I don't think... This is obvious, though, but I don't think it's a sustainable culture. It's a shocker. <laughs> shocker. <laughs> you, know? well, you saw you saw Apocalypto, too, huh? <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> no, no, Dan, but, I'm, re- I'm reading about Mayan culture right now, actually. Yeah. But uh, I don't 
I can't imagine it's going to work out well because the thing is, like apostles, they weren't made for sustainability. They weren't made to live. They were, you know, they're demons. They their entire essence is evil. So I, I can't. I just can't see them settling down. And so the inevitable next turn of the page is going to be pretty dark, regardless of how happy they initially came together. You know, in this union. Well, you know. That being said, I've thought about uh, the idea of organized sacrifices before, and uh, I, I think it could work at least not, for a time. You know, this was not berserk related, by the way. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> it but, wasn't. Uh, no, I was, I was just making a joke. Oh, <laughs> As thinking right. about organized sacrifices. And <laughs> you're, talking about the, you're talking about the forum. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it could be done, you know, while that he had settled in a way, even though he was uh, pretty wild, you know what I mean? And uh, he, he had settled, he he was working for Midland, even though he was pretty much just doing whatever he wanted. But he was still working for Midland. I think under the rule of Griffiths and maybe the, the good hand in itself, I think the apostles could, uh, yeah, sort of settle down. If they are given food and uh, can indulge in whatever their, their desires are, I think they, they would... Uh, they would do it. Well, think. yeah, I think they could be kept in line. And the interesting thing is that before, like, the eclipse and, you know, everything, apostles still did, like, for some, I mean, it was just a fact, like, many of them were participating in human society as, you know, like, these evil, corrupt barons and counts and things. And I mean, of course, they were eating people and making it work. But, uh, I don't know, so, well, you know, they were no, doing it's just it. a funny way of phrasing it. Like, they were making it work. They were eating people. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, eating people, but making it work, like, you know, within the confines of society, sure, you know, sure. like, under the trappings, you know, like, bringing these, you know, slave girls to the, to the castle or whatever and to never be seen again. And, uh, I don't know, I could, like, you know, I could see it working, you know, where, especially with Griffith, you know, keeping them in line as well as the people in line, you know, basically everyone, you know, falling under his authority, but also, you know, I can see what you're saying where, like, things would probably continue to escalate to the point where maybe the people aren't, you know, as – they're not enth as enthusiastic about it as they <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the first place where it's like, you know, maybe some – maybe the sacrifices, you know, are getting bigger – Maybe people are disappearing more on the side, and it's like I don't know if that was organized. You know, that's, like, that's, what, that's what I mean. Is like, how long does that honeymoon period last? I mean, it doesn't yeah. seem sustainable for more than like a year. I mean, it just sounds like uh, I don't know how that would work. So I guess what I mean is, what I'm getting at is, there's probably some other factor we're not considering here or don't know about yet that's going to tie these two knots together tighter than we can yeah. currently see them. You know. Well, of course, yeah. we are considering the fact that there is, like, a bunch of, like, unicorn meat out there now. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you know. No, no, I Oops. can totally see the apostles finding, like, you know, what you, what you could call steady employment is, like, you know, defenders of the realm or something like that. But, yeah. of course, what's happening inside the walls, it's not just going to be a human city, you know. Yeah. It's a human apostle city. Yeah, fun topic. Because it's just so freaking out there and wide. <laughs> yeah. Or what it could be. So there's no there's no real wrong answer unless you're you know Zetch. Do you think they're gonna get married and? Uh, like I thought about it. I thought babies? about human human apostle relations. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it'll be addressed in some way. Yeah, knowing Murahi will. Yeah, it'll be addressed explicitly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Azil, you're you're highlighting something, so go ahead and and do that. 
Uh, no, I was just, uh, you know, passing time, so... Oh, okay. I thought you were saying, I want to talk about this. Uh, uh, no, no, definitely not. But, uh, yeah, why not, I mean? But I don't even know what uh, I was uh, highlighting, actually. When apostles fight other monsters, which I think we just finished talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we just finished talking about it. Okay. I can just imagine, like, just, you know, a dragon, like, about to fly into Falconia and cause a problem, and then, like, just, you know, Zod, you know, immediately takes it down <laughs> into a you field know, it, and, it, like... It should be feet on it. It should it should be ground belt, you know, for the circle to be complete, you know. Dragon versus <laughs> yeah. dragon. <laughs> well, he disappoints me as a dragon. He doesn't even look like he could fly. You know, he's just a big tank dragon. <laughs> I yeah. like the one I like the black one that appeared on that uh, on that castle tower better. Yeah, it's a true dragon. But ground yeah. belt is just uh, yeah, he just it's an apostle, you know. He's pretending. Right. He's a grotesque you know, perversion of a dragon, like an exaggeration. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not. It's not dissimilar when you go to Dairy Queen and order a, a burger. It's like it's it's a burger <laughs> designed by someone who was described a burger, but never actually <laughs> had a burger. You know, it's like he's a dragon based on a dragon he heard about once. You know, <laughs> to be a legendary dragon of some kind. Right. I think he looks pretty damn cool, but you're right. Kind of a strange looking dragon. No, yeah. I like him. I like him as a sort of a different kind. He was different than I was expecting, though, because we—I mean, we knew he was going to turn into a dragon from first. Yeah. He was a called dragon at the outset, right? But he was a crystal dragon. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a freaking fantasy concept. <laughs> well, as far as fantasy goes, uh, Locus is almost you know science fiction. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, no. I actually really like his uh, design for that reason because he does look like very alien. Yeah. I really want to see that in color. I, w- I wonder I what think, color his eyes glow, for example. You know, that's a good point. I always imagine him as just being like silver, like basically looking yeah. like T-1000 or yeah. something or just looking like armor. Or like, metal. In, yeah, just he, metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were um, Miras done uh, color, uh, color pictures of him uh, for the turning card game, and his uh, eyes uh, are depicted growing yellow, and he's just oh. yeah silver colored. Oh. I think uh, maybe on on one drawing uh, his eyes are more greenish, but uh, yeah, on the other one is yellow. Oh, green is very sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> the green eyes with silver. I always figured that he blue or red or something. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I never looked through those trading card game art books. I probably should because I guess that's the closest thing we're going to get to an art book, you know, in the near future. I didn't even know yep. they had like separate art books for the trading go- card game art. Well, it's not really art books. It's uh, little booklets that were released in uh, Young Animals. 2005. Oh, okay, okay. That's yeah. yeah, that's interesting though. But yeah, I mean, I I wish there. I wish he would bring out like they. I mean, they've got enough material for a few different art books now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah. A collection looks easily. Yeah, but we, we remember we've asked him, and he said, uh, "Yeah, he said no." He said nothing. No is plans. plans. Yeah, yeah, which is certainly not no. But it's, well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a eventually it's possible, but I don't have any plans. For <laughs> yeah, well, that's how I, I took that answer anyway. Yeah, yeah well, fine. Oh, I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> Don't take yeah, it away from like, me, damn it. Yeah, this is like, fine, take it that way, but I, I don't see any art books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also hope we'll get uh, art books, but uh, yeah. Oh, um, I guess other Berserk stuff, are you guys cool transitioning away from the main topic? Yeah, sure. I think we did that a long time ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, damn it. Um, 
Young Animal Hooray is celebrating its 20th anniversary, and they are uh, commemorating it by giving away some merchandise uh, associated with each of the main series. They have, I think Berserk has like six or seven items. I didn't look into it yeah. too much. I think, Azil, you said you knew a little bit about it or you were interested in some of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just looked through them, and uh, yeah, there's uh, some set of uh, pictures, like postcards, you know, of uh, some artwork he's done before, and uh, like volume covers and, uh, you know, the posters inside the volumes. And there's one, it's like some kind of fresco, you know, which is uh, actually the art that was used for the, you know, My Best Remix releases. You know, oh, okay. it's a, these, these big books uh, that contain two and a half volumes. Mm. So there's there's one some kind of fresco yeah where all the illustrations are there, so I guess that's pretty neat. But the only thing that's really worth it, I guess you could say worth it, is uh, some kind of badges. You know, they have some some badges like pins, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I guess uh, some of them are pretty neat. There's a you know a skull and behirit one, which is uh, yeah I guess would be neat. What, what is that like behirit wrapping paper I'm seeing? I can't tell what that is. It's like the brown uh, background is red. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea, actually. Let okay, sh- I just didn't know. Check. And, and there's a couple of, yeah, there's posters and shit like that and little pins. Uh, I, I find this a little lackluster for celebrating the 20th anniversary or something. But, I mean, it's just the publish- publication's anniversary. So, Berserk already had its big anniversary. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I, uh, I think it's some kind of, uh, you know... Handkerchief or something, the buried thing. I remember it now. It's a uh, yeah. It's, so I can I can blow my nose and show some behirits. It's very you know, it's uh, wipe my ass they, with eggs. They, they call it uh, microfiber. You know, yeah, sure. some kind of special type of tissue. I don't if know. If you blow your nose on it and then put it on a le- letter opener, it'll become like the sword of resonance. You know, <laughs> 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 and the vortex blade there. That's awesome. Yeah, nothing else really is happening, uh, Berserk-wise. Something about movies is probably happening, but I don't really honestly keep track of it. I don't even know when Movie 3 is coming out, if it has a date. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the only one I'm interested in, though, because I want to know how they fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> Movie 2 is sort of just, yeah, they're going to mess up. A, it's in the middle messing up. I want to see how they're going to, like, what sour note they're going to end on. Yeah. yeah. I'll be I'll be comfortable with just the knowledge of where it ends. Like where 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 is it actually going to end? And then and that's that'll be enough for me. I don't even have to see it. So well, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch them. So yeah, just, I yeah. I feel like I don't know. It's something I have to do. Mm. Like it really yeah. is a burden. But we'll we'll see. I mean, maybe I'll like the. Did someone say the second one was worse though? Uh, I'm forgetting the like reviews we I've got. Heard, it. I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard some people say it's better, some people say it's worse. So yeah, what did probably, uh, what did DK think of it? Because he's like the, he's like the movie's advocate, so it's like I'd be interested to hear like his take on if it was better or worse than the first one. I don't think he's seen it yet. Okay. I mean, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's posted a, a review of it. Well, maybe right. he has, but okay. Moving on. Uh, Movies and stuff. I guess we've all seen some kind of movies and we've all been watching some kind of TV. Uh, I had a kind of a unique movie experience on Thursday night. I went to a theater and watched a live Riff Tracks of Manos, The Hands of Fate. Riff Tracks is uh, the successor to Mystery Science Theater 3000, which if you don't know, it's those three guys. 
that sit in the front of a theater and make fun of movie old movies. Uh, they've been doing it on the website called Rift Tracks for a while, and recently they returned to Manos, The Hands of Fate, which is popularly called the worst movie of all time. I don't really think so. It's, it's a pretty bad movie. But uh, it's the movie that kind of put them on the map as far as – it was like one of their really popular ones because the movie is dramatically bad and they do a good job of it. But this is them kind of returning to it like you know 20 years later or 15 years later I guess it would be. And, and they, do a, they did a pretty damn good job of it. So here's how it worked. They had a live showing of it, a taping in Nashville, and they aired that out live uh, – like a live cast of it to like hundreds of theaters across the U.S. And I went to a theater where they were live broadcasting it. So it's interesting – the entire theater was only there for that. And so you have to imagine it's like there's like two showings in Maryland or something like that. So everyone from Maryland gathers this. It is like an it's like a mini nerd convention in that theater. So it's like only true Mr. Science Theater <laughs> fucking huge nerds are there. And here's the sad part. I was the coolest person in that theater, and I am not <laughs> I'm not bragging. I'm not I don't consider myself like a cool person, but everyone else, oh my god, it was a fucking shit show. So the guy, <laughs> the guy in front of me, he must have been 45. He brought his entire family, which is like three or four people, his wife and two of his kids, and he's sitting on the end in front of me and he's and I'm not even kidding. He's quoting lines from the movie, not the riff the actual movie Manos the Hands of Fate, quoting lines from it and like nudging his wife and his wife is like giving him like terrifying looks like shut the fuck up, you know. His kids aren't even laughing at it. They're just like bored out of their minds. So it was like only for fans really. I had a blast. I thought it was great. I hope I hope they got divorced after that. <laughs> <laughs> no. I so were these like were a lot of these people like parodies of like fans of things like just over the top. So to put it in more perspective here, you know when you go to the theater and before the movie plays, as you probably don't have this experience, but in the, in the U.S. before a movie plays, you're subjected to like all sorts of ads, theater ads and like movie quizzes and shit, like all that kind of stuff. Griff, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. What's the – who's this actor? And it has like yeah. a whole thing. They were all – a silhouette. Exactly. But these were all parodies of that, all written by the Rift Tracks guys. And they were all pretty funny. One of them simply said, and this is totally playing to their audience, Joss Whedon, pause for minutes of thunderous applause in the audience. <laughs> it's totally accurate because everyone in the theater was like laughing and applauding because they're all fucking Whedon nerds. No offense. <laughs> it's, totally, it's a bunch of like, a, it was like, a, it was like you know, when, um, when Guts entered the Cliffhoth or uh, York. <laughs> the cave in volume 18 and he has like that foreboding sense <laughs> yeah thing i felt when i kept <laughs> i have a question about the broadcast actually now were they doing the riff tracks were they riffing live at the theater they were in yeah, were they actually like hmm? yeah it was all live okay so they were actually they had to like have their timing down like perfect yep. while they it, did it it wasn't like they started the live thing and then they hit play on a pre-record thing they were standing up and like they would they would cut to them throughout the movie like they had like a twenty-four type of screen where they're you, you know showing the movie on one side, the other side they're showing all their faces as they riff. So uh-huh. it was, and it was actually a lot funnier than it was because they're returning to the movie after a while, so they have some new material and it's obviously familiar material. So it was it was good, funny yeah. stuff. I would I would like to do it again. Uh, Manos has never been one of my favorites. I mean, it's good. It's just not like the funniest of. Their episodes. I, I don't know. I think my favorite, like this is just personal. One of my favorites is Riding with Death. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, that's a short, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's a. Uh, there was a. It was a. 
it was a movie that was actually two TV episodes put together, <laughs> but it was it was a regular Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode. Do a lot it's, of the, uh, from Sandy Frank, which is a Japanese company in the seventies who they did TV movies and they struggled them together to be movies like uh, Time of the Apes, which is a Planet of the Apes ripoff, and Fugitive Alien Two, which are like science fiction things. <laughs> Good Joel episodes for MST3K. <laughs> Anyway, it was fun. I would definitely do it again. So everyone should check that out if you're fans of the show. Oh, I also watched Roadhouse Rift Tracks over the weekend, which is oh, my favorite. Roadhouse. It's the best one in my opinion. I don't even think you you don't need to, the thing with Roadhouse is you don't need a Rift Tracks. I mean, it's already like it's already that good by itself. It's in the to me, it's the only movie that's sort of like in the same sort of vein, like the same genre as Commando. Yeah, seriously, Roadhouse is. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I love it. Rift tracks is <laughs> so uh, yeah. That's what I've been watching and stuff. Griff Fazil. Uh, let's see. I haven't. What have I watched recently? I've been watching uh, Buffy season seven again. But you don't want to hear about that. <laughs> I've been. Uh, you mentioned you saw Superman Returns the other day. I tried watching it again the other night with uh, my girl. She's into Superman, and. Yeah. We we were both sick though. We had like eaten a bunch of barbecue for for dinner and like too much, so we ended up having to go to bed early. <laughs> like so, yep. that was the end of Superman Returns. It could not keep us glued to the screen. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna. It's that that, that naturally happens when you have a barbecue. You mean? So, <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, we was on TV basically. Like when I cook a wheel for my wife, we generally sit down and we'll watch, put something on in the background while we eat. And for for this particular occasion, Superman was on. We ended up watching like most of the movie, and we'd both seen it before, and we both shared the opinion that this is a pretty damn good movie. I mean, it's not fantastic, but I remember it getting like blasted by critics and nerds who thought it was like a really shitty Superman movie. I thought it was a fine movie. I mean, I didn't really see what the outcry was for, and this is coming from someone who did not see it in theaters. I saw it on DVD like a year or two after it came out. So I totally missed the whole hype train. I kind of came into it backwards like, oh, Superman movie, sure. And I liked it. So what was the big fuss over it about again? It's boring. <laughs> that's I think that's the, the complaint about it. It's like it's almost too fine a movie. Like it's too reverent almost of the material and stuff. And I don't know if like Zack Snyder is the answer. I don't think he – I think that's always the wrong answer. But uh, – <laughs> For the new Superman movie where he's going to be, I guess, more, uh, I don't know, depressed or something. But this one was like, right down to, I actually was sort of impressed with the guy's performance as Superman. Because he sounds like, Chris, he looks and he sounds like Christopher Reeve. Like, yeah. even his voice as Superman and Clark Kent. He's like doing the same voice. Which, it's impressive, but it's also kind of weird. And I don't know, it could have worked that way. But I mean, I just felt like like, we got like about, I don't know, I guess 45 minutes into the movie and nothing had really happened other than like he had come back and like Lex Luthor had gotten started on his like evil plan. It was right. just very, it's, it's very dry. It's it's slow to get moving. It's like a big machine is slowly turning and the ultimate, well, to me, the, the moments that are great about the movie aren't the Superman parts. It's like the Clark Kent parts, you know? And, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a well done movie. I mean, Brian, I'm, I like Brian Singer's work, but like, I do think like it suffers from like it, it's slow. I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't think it's a bad movie. Like, I don't want to bash it or anything. I just understand why people like you know didn't like weren't crazy about it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I understand. I, I guess I, I get it. It's just like, uh, to me, it wasn't a bad movie. It just wasn't, yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't Batman Begins, for example. It certainly didn't make that impact on me. Yeah, like, well, I mean, I actually sort of think of it like Batman Begins, because, like, I, I sort of see them as having, like, sort of the same problems of being, like, a little slow and cumbersome and, and reverent and also very, like, very fine films, very well done, but it's, like, I don't it's know, boring. they don't have that... Yeah, they don't have like that. It doesn't have that pace. It doesn't have like it doesn't have its like a rhythm or a pace that you can really you know eat some popcorn to like you know. So, whereas like I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a counter example. Look at the well, first Superman, for example. That's like bombastic by comparison. Yeah. You know, it's like all. What was interesting is I rented it on Amazon Prime for one ninety nine. All the older Superman movies were two ninety nine. I don't know what that's about. Like it to me, it's sort of like what you were saying. It's unfair how uh, trashed this movie is. Why is it a dollar cheaper than Superman Four? That's so, quite terrible. Superman Four is three dollars more than Superman Returns. Oh. Yeah, it's three dollars, and, and Superman Returns is two. And it's like, okay, you know what? Superman Returns is it's for, it's a better made movie than any of the, like the three later Superman movies. Like after the first one, and the first one, you know, I don't know if it's a great movie, but I mean, it's a classic of the genre. But uh, I always thought two was better than one. As a kid, like two better than one anyway. Watch, watch two again. It's it's okay. it's the it's it might be with Roadhouse and Commando and how good it is. <laughs> like and that it's that kind of quality. You got me more excited now. Yeah, I watched it recently and I was like, whoa! <laughs> I remember this being awesome. <laughs> and it's like it's it's very, it's like a parody, like right from the beginning actually. Oh. And I heard, I heard why too. Like, uh, like half the movie was shot by Richard Donner, who did the first movie, and then he like left, and they had someone else, I think, finish it. And like, yeah, so half of it is like really, really cheesily done. But there's some neat scenes in there that I'm assuming were done by the original director. Mm-hmm. I think there's a director's cut too. Oh, good. Yeah, that like where he like Richard tried to Donner. fix it. Richard Donner of Goonies fame. <laughs> did he do Goonies? He did, yeah. Let's see why. I'm trying to I know he's done other things to try Superman and Goonies that he's famous for. Did he do the... Was it the... Who directed the Lethal Weapon movies? Not Richard Donner. I don't... I don't. I sincerely don't think so, but... Shit, we got the internet here. <laughs> this, might have to, this might have to be like a cut in the podcast. <laughs> like... Directed by... Oh, damn, it was. Holy shit. Yes! <laughs> I did not know that. Huh. Well, then who did the sequel? No, see, this is going to take forever. <laughs> I thought Lethal Weapon 2 was better than 1. Oh, wait. I think Le- he did all of them. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think he even did like 4. Even that shitty film with Jet Li where he's like, I yeah. Know, or it was the one that was made like, you know, five years too late for them to do a sequel <laughs> anymore. And Mel yeah. Gibson, I think, had short hair at that time and was like, I think it, the word was out that he was crazy. like it changes you know it's like i can't love his wacky police action now that i know that he he really doesn't like people of danny glover's color you know everything it just (laughs) it makes it so weird (laughs) um i would talk about breaking bad right here but someone hasn't seen it yet (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) I was looking at the um, the IMDb page for Hank's character, and that guy has been in like a bunch of classic movies. He was in Terminator 2 and Gremlins 2, the new batch, as SWAT team leader. 
I bet he's been SWAT team leader in a lot of movies. Like, I think my my mom recognized him when I showed her like the first episode, and yeah. was like, "Ooh, that's interesting," because he's like some on, on some other like police cop show that she watches, and that's what got her interested in the show at all. He is a little typecast, but he, I'm I'm glad he ha- he found a way in Breaking Bad to kind of go beyond that simple role. You know, there's more to his yeah. character than just that. He's oh yeah, guys. Him and Mike, all together. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of stuff written here for Breaking Bad, but again, I don't want to spoil things for people that haven't seen it. But I have been rewatching uh, the whole series, starting from I watched season one and two basically, and trying to process the things that are happening in the new season a little better. It, it makes a lot more sense if you see the whole series. I have not seen season one for like I don't know three or four years. It's been a while. So, how far away are you from over? Because, oh, you said you just watched Black and Blue, right? Or Negro y Azul? I have all of three and all of four to watch again. And I, I don't think I'm going to watch four again because that's so recent in my mind. I'm just going to stop yeah. it. So. What was interesting is after we had our little debate in the podcast notes, like, I went back and I watched, like, a bunch of my favorite scenes. And, of course, it was like I was watching all episodes from seasons three and four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> besides, like, uh, a couple from se- – besides that one from season two, I think I – probably referenced in a few threads this week but uh yeah it, it's got a lot of great moments those uh lives. particularly the end of season three like the last two episodes of season three are probably two of my favorite episodes yeah in the whole series yeah three's high quality stuff i do agree though in season two like you said before it, it's very well constructed you can tell they they plotted each of the main things out per episode and they had like a plan in place for things Whereas often in four and five, it seems very episodic. Like they're just going to go from A to B in the next episodes, you know, C to D. There's not a lot of yeah. the different plots. Whereas two, it seamlessly goes. It's like a movie you're watching, you know. And yeah, and there's like a lot of tension between all the different plots going on too. Like right. the way they're connected and just, you know, the the life he's leading. And whereas that stuff is all sort of now everything is more, Segmented. I don't know. Yeah, it's more segmented and compartmentalized and sort of comfortable, actually. Right. For him, you know. Yep. But yeah, I I can't remember. I wanted to say this. The last thing I wanted to say about Breaking Bad was I can't remember the last time I watched a show while it was still airing and I was this excited about it, about every episode. Like throughout the whole week, I'm excited about the next episode. I can't remember the last time that happened. Because normally I watch a show that's on the air and generally I'll hate it if I'm still watching on the air. (laughs) My favorite like the Sopranos show. at the end? Yeah, absolutely. I was not looking forward to each episode of The Sopranos with like bated breath, you know. Or Lost. Or <laughs> exactly. You know, all the all my favorite series like Twin Peaks and The Wire and all these things, you know, I I watched them in retrospect, like after they were already done. I was, you know, piled through them on DVD. So this is a different experience for me. But it's tough. One episode one hour a, a week. You know, you gotta stop yeah. right there. You can't go any further. And I've got the I've got the same feeling too, where it's like I'm excited about each like you know I'm excited because today's Sunday and it's going to be on tonight and uh, yeah. Whereas I, it's it's kind of nice actually. It kind of redeems Sunday night versus having to go to work tomorrow, and it's like it gives me like like a counter weight to that. Like oh man, but uh, and plus I got True Blood, so I got that going for me. <laughs> yeah, no, actually True Blood is where I'm having the more traditional feeling of like oh my god i have to watch this tonight and i i have to but i, I don't want to but i have to <laughs> like i you know it's i wanted I to 
reminded me, I never actually shared this story, but I, I wanted to on the air regarding Lost. Like that was one of those shows where beyond season three, I was like, it was seriously painful for me to come back. And at some point I stopped watching that show and I, I, I would kind of skip around and ultimately finish it off. But so check it out. So I, I used to like Lost like season two or so Then I kind of fell off the fucking face of the map. One and two were very good. Yeah. So <clears throat> the last apartment we lived in, um, we lived across the hall from this couple that was similar to our age and coming to a new city, you know, you want to make new friends. And so I was taking the mail out one day and, uh, we ran, I ran into the guy and said, Hey, you want to have dinner some night? Like hang out. It's like, yeah, sure. So we come over and we bring a board game settlers of Catan, which is awesome. Uh, they, they know what it is. So we don't have to introduce it. So we're having a good time. And then, uh, I see they have you know their DVDs like all you know splayed out on their bookcase, and you know similar shows that we've all watched. We start talking about shows, and I say something like this: I say, "Yeah, it's too bad about Lost Ending, though." And the guy's like, "I really liked it," and I was like, "Really? You liked Lost Ending? The the one where they're all at fucking church, random <laughs> for reason? Because they're all dead or something?" Like, yeah, I thought it pretty much tied all the loose ends together. I thought it was very uh, – I can't remember. His basic argument was he liked being lost, and that sealed the deal for our entire relationship. <laughs> it's like a part. That was pretty much it because in addition to finding out that they were, like, you know, pushing, like, a Christian agenda the entire time, like, hey, she got to us. That's one thing. I can put that on the shelf. But lost. Whoa. That's it, buddy. <laughs> nice knowing <laughs> So that, that was uh, it. All thanks to Lost. Thanks to Jack, basically. Who I hear yeah. is a woman beater. I mean, that's what I read on the internet anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> the real life Jack. <laughs> Person. Yes. Matthew Fox. I know his name. So. <laughs> wow. So I have game- a good memory for TV and movie trivia. How do you think I know Richard Donner directed Lethal Weapon off the top of my head? <laughs> it's not because I watch them every day or something. That's a pretty high-profile movie. I'm not that surprised you pertain to that. Yeah. Like, to me, like that's the movie where like the director. It could have been anybody. Like you know, the characters kind of you know make that movie work. Yeah, oh, I, I was the only reason I knew it was him is because I was thinking like, why do I know Richard Donner's name? <laughs> like you know, sort of because I couldn't think of any other. Like you know, I was surprised that he had done Goonies. But I was like, I know he did the first Superman, but I was like, why does anyone care that he did the first Superman, you know, other than it's the first Superman? It's like, oh, yeah, because he directed – because he had to have directed other movies, so. Right. And I thought, yeah. Was, like, was made a shitload of movies in the 80s and then died in the 90s, basically. Like, his career has died. Yeah. Um, games. Uh, I'm playing a lot of short games. That's the, the long and short of this. I'm playing a lot of small uh, handheld games that I can do really quickly. Um I played through and beat again a game called Orcs and Elves, which I know is extremely generic sounding, but it's uh, made by id Software, which is kind of hilarious, you know, the makers of Doom. Uh, it's a dungeon crawler, uh, first person. It's made by John Carmack's wife. Uh, he made the engine for it. It's on the DS, and it's actually pretty fucking fantastic. Like, it's the kind of game id might have made between, you know, finishing up Doom and before they made, like, a 3D engine game like Quake. It's like they would have made a game like this, and it even looks like it. Like, it's a 2D first-person type of thing. Looks similar to Doom, feels similar to Doom, but it's a dungeon crawler. It's really fun. Uh, That actually does sound like a lot of fun. So it's for the DS? Do you have to buy a cartridge, or can you download it? No, it's a cartridge. Uh, You can get it on Amazon for, like, eight, nine bucks right now. So Mm. it's pretty Uh, And Yoshi's Island. Yes, also a good, great game. I've been playing that. 
and it's a binary domain. So I can't really say much more about that, but it's very good. That's about All it. All right. Uh, As, do you want to go next, or shall I? No, well, I can. Well, I've uh, I finished uh, Alien Noir recently, which is a Rockstar game uh, which takes place in you know Los Angeles uh, in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. It was very neat. I liked the experience. Very nice game. So yeah, highly recommended. And uh, nowadays I'm uh, playing Trine 2, which is uh, much like the original Trine. Short game, but uh, pretty sweet. So yeah, having a good time with that. I wanted to ask you, um, I just realized, right now it's the middle of August, we're getting towards the end of the month, and September's next, and then October, and then November, when we all presume the Wii U will come out, or as Satoru Iwata calls it, Wii U? (laughs) It's a question. (laughs) At Nintendo, we like the Wii U. So, is that going to come out this year, or not? I guess it is. They said it would. They said it would. Uh, I th- I think they are going to put it off, uh, you know, like for Halloween in the USA and for Christmas in Europe and Japan. Mm. Yeah, it's just strange because I think it's usually the end of August we start hearing things. It, it it seems strange to launch a console, you know, at the end of the year. And here we are, you know, at the penultimate end of the year, and they still have a release window or even launch titles necessarily. You know. Well, you know, I think that they've got their, uh, you know, their show, which is, um, uh, say, in parallel to the Tokyo Game Show. So they usually make some announcements, you know, separately. So I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be like that. And maybe they've decided uh, not to leave, you know, too much time, you know, in between the announcement and the actual release. So I think uh, we may very well see uh, an announcement like in September and bam, just, you know, for Halloween, it's out in the USA, and uh, or Thanksgiving, sorry, Halloween, which is... So for Thanksgiving, it's out in the USA, and for Christmas, it's out uh, in uh, the rest of the world. Are well, you- I have faith, because I know Nintendo would never bungle a system launch. That, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. So. <laughs> well, who's going to get it? I don't yeah. right at launch, anyway. I, yeah. I, I'm not, I know for a fact I'm not getting it, because I'm getting a, a kid, so... <laughs> <laughs> Tell your wife it's for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not getting it at launch either. I, I don't know. I'll see when there are some games uh, that motivate me to buy it. But uh, for now, I'm not getting it. I hear that uh, they're going to like have accounts for it where you can like save your downloadable games. Like you can, You'll be able to one-time transfer your Wii games to it, and then you'll be able to have them under an account name, which theoretically you could keep all your Nintendo games forever on every system they bring out from that point. Which, you know, that, that makes it appealing to me. Yeah, but not right nice. away. Yeah. yeah. All that's unconfirmed, though. I mean, they haven't said a damn Yeah. All- yeah, and I don't trust them when it comes to networking, you know. <laughs> no, not at all. So it's like, I'll wait, I'll wait and see if that's true, and then maybe I'll get, like, every Mega Man game for it, you know. That, that's, that's what I buy a brand new Wii U for. Play Mega Man. <laughs> no, but uh, I don't know if they bring out a Zelda game for it pretty if- soon. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can... I don't know. I'm still. I'm very wary of it. It's got like I don't know. It's got Dreamcast written all over it to put it like. Well, they just need to prove themselves because they haven't done that yet with the system. They need to prove that it's a it's worthwhile upgrade. You know. Or yeah, and also like a lot of it is out of their control. Like if uh, depends on how Sony and Microsoft decide to respond. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm actually really curious to see what uh, Microsoft and Sony will announce because, uh, yeah, it might be something very different, you know, using uh, cloud computing, you know, so... Sony seems to be doubling down on that, at least. Uh, I think we'll see what Microsoft has for the next E3, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of possibilities. Yeah, I really wonder what, what's going to happen. Mm. So, Griff, you're, you're playing something new now, right? Yeah. Well, hold on. First, I just want to make a, an announcement on my father's behalf. He beat Diablo 3 on Inferno difficulty. Which wow. puts him in rare company, <laughs> I guess. What what uh, happens to Inferno? Is it just like you can quit now? Does it tell I you guess. That? Like you, know, you can never play again now, or at least you can give up on it. Because yeah, this is like the thing where you basically you either had to farm for like millions of gold in order to do it to buy the items off the auction house to make it even possible, or you had to pay like real money to do it. That, that was, like, the only options before us. But he managed to do it finally. Like, I mean, you guys don't really, you know, I don't think you guys ever played Inferno in Diablo 3. Am I right? No, no. Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculously scaled up difficulty. Like, where it's an actually, it's actually a game where it's, like, you you can't beat it unless you really dedicate, you know, many, many hours to, like, building your character up in the items. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, mo- you know, most games today are too easy. This is really an example of, like, being way too hard. To the point of it being unfair and being like unplayable for, you know, any sort of casual gamer, like an average experience. There, you know, you couldn't just do it. You wouldn't get the drops or anything. So he managed to do that, which you know surprised me. I think I'm still See, in Act Two there. I just don't get the appeal of that because to me, Diablo is at its most fun when you feel powerful. But if you're getting beat down, yeah, you know, yeah. When you're dying all the time and having to, you know, they and they make it harder with every update. Like the repair costs would go up and things, so you're just getting smashed and like losing yeah. all your gold. And it's that like, would... yeah, and what's the fun in this? Yeah, yeah. You know, you want to be you want to be able to face roll guys, you know, in the game. Like that makes it fun. But uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah. So he got through that, and I mean, he's just happy that he was able to beat the game. Sure. And you know, I was giving him, it's funny, he's very old-fashioned. Like I'd be like, well, hey, maybe we could like gang up, you know, like I know this guy who's pretty powerful. And he was like, well, I want to, if I can't beat it myself, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bring in some ringer to beat the game for me. <laughs> Made me feel a little ashamed. <laughs> then he'll <laughs> like, never know if he had it in him. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you know, I want to do it. I'm, I don't care. I'm always saying, so can I borrow like your items and do it? <laughs> and then I'll give them back to you. And he's just <laughs> like, it just, he's disgusted. It reminds me of, reminds me of Walt and Grey Matter. <laughs> yeah, I, I was laughing my ass off at that one scene at the restaurant where he says "fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where it just it comes out like it's just yeah. he spits it out. <laughs> it's like he did. It was like he didn't even want to say it, but it's like he had to at that point. Where <laughs> yeah, you can tell he had fun with that role and a lot of yeah. scenes. Well, that's just, to me that just shows his issues. Like when she's pointing it because you know she actually makes the big reveal that he's he didn't get screwed out of anything. He he like you know. He was the bad guy there. I guess he really is just the bad guy in general. Anyway, Sorry. no spoilers. But uh, <laughs> and right now I'm playing. Let's see. Oh, I can't play Diablo three because my computer's fried, and so that also gets rid of like I was thinking. I wanted to talk about. Uh, well, first I'll just talk about what you were trying to get me to talk about. Super yeah. Mario Brothers two. I downloaded that last night. So wait, wait, played, wait, wait. You're playing Super Mario Brothers two, where you pick up radishes and throw them at shy guys. New Super Mario Brothers two. Forgive oh. me. <laughs> yeah. New Super Mario Brothers 2 just came out last night. You can download it at midnight, 9 o'clock here, actually. And uh, 
so yeah, I got that and I played it for a few hours. I've beaten the first world and am in the second one. And you were not a fan of the first game in this series. And I, I got it. Yeah. I, I got it. Yeah, you hated it. And I got it because I, I had never played the first one. And I was kind of excited about the being able to download like a cartridge-based you know, 3DS game directly to the system. So that, the novelty of that, you know, even though it's probably, you know, there's nothing to it. It probably just means that it's really a downloadable game that they stuck on a cartridge. But uh, <laughs> How long <laughs> so did it take to download, by the way? It didn't take long. I've got a terrible connection. Like, I've got a really low, uh, low speed, like, the lowest speed Verizon connection you can get. And it mm-hmm. took, like, about an hour. Okay. It's still, and, uh, and I played it for a few hours. And I was, I was, like I said, I was feeling sick last night, so we couldn't finish it. I was literally playing the first level through tears coming out of my eyes. Like, my wow. eyes were water. Yeah, my eyes were watering as I was, like, looking at the 3D and I had a headache, you know, and all sorts of, you know, like, my Other whole, stuff. uh, and all this nasal congestion, yeah, like it was just, it was terrible. And what, kind of, uh, but, what was in your what was in your barbecue? Like the Ebola virus? Oh, it was it was also the barbecuing experience. So I got I inhaled a lot of smoke because we were burning okay. a lot of like newspaper to get it going to get the charcoal okay. going. It was very ill advised, and I was thinking like, aren't we getting like a lot of chemicals on our meat? <laughs> you know, here like basically getting burned in with this smoke and inhaling it and getting it in our eyes. Like I got basically a huge plume. Of like smoke wow. in my, I inhaled a huge plume of smoke in my eyes and everywhere, and like for literally a minute, like I couldn't see. It was bad, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man!" So I wasn't feeling good yesterday, but still, I uh, I fought through it to play New Super Mario Brothers two, and I actually I I enjoyed it. It was uh, the levels were simple, but I actually found it more difficult in the early going than uh, than Mario three D Land, which was uh, which I didn't expect. Like just there was a lot of. Uh, there was a lot of tricky platforms and things. These platforms, these little green blocks that would sort of move around like in different patterns randomly on their own. And like, I don't know oh, if it was God. just because, yeah, I wasn't like, maybe I just wasn't in a good place like to play it at the moment or, you know, I was out of practice. But yeah, I was like, I was dying and it was, I was finding it like difficult. It might have been the controls too. He kind of like, it doesn't feel more, as precise. He's more floaty, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, he's a little floatier, and uh, mm. yeah, so I don't know. I'll probably get used to it, but I mean, I found it. I found it enjoyable. I mean, it seems like Mario, and they really push the coin collecting literally from the first screen. It's like get those coins, is what it says, <laughs> and then it explains to you about the world, the whole like worldwide coin list yeah. that it's going to be keeping, and blah blah blah. And it's it did make me like collect more coins, and like it did make it. And the power ups with the coins are actually kind of fun. Where you can like turn everything into coins with a, a fireball that turns things into coins, and then you get them. Right. I don't know, but it, it was fun. Like for what it was, it was fun. It was it was still too easy. Like on the bosses, like the first boss is a uh, uh, spoiler alert here, but it's that uh, it's the like uh, what's it called those those triceratopses that are on the the four platforms from Super Mario World. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't remember their names and. Uh, there's only two of them, and you—they—they they don't even—they didn't even get an attack off before I killed them. So it was very, <laughs> oh, wow. very much like baby mode. Like, I just had to knock them off the platforms, and they didn't even shoot a fireball at me before I did. And then, uh, I forget the first Koopaling you fight. You know, just bop him on the head three times. It was there was no challenge there, but the levels I found to be a little challenging for whatever reason. Like, not hard, but like you know, just like oh, you know, I could get killed, and if I'm right. sloppy. But I, I'm enjoying it so far. Okay. Certainly can't rate the whole experience yet. The um, I didn't know this until recently. I was looking at 
what the new Super Mario Brothers U is going to look like. Because, yes, there is another new Super Mario Brothers game coming out for Wii U, a separate one. Oh, okay, yeah. one. So, apparently, a lot of the graphical parts of it are similar to Super Mario World. Uh, like, this is a much more detailed world map with, like, multiple paths and stuff. Oh, uh, uh... There's a lot of visual similarities, independent of even that, uh, the background elements, things like that. So it looks like it's going to be, like this, this one was apparently very similar to Mario Bros. 3, the one you're playing, Griff. Yeah, you can see that. This one has yeah. more akin to Mario World, so that's cool. Yeah, this one has the, you have the, the raccoon tail power up back, where you can actually fly right. with the little P in the bottom. And uh, one thing that was interesting about this is if you turn the 3D off, the graphics are actually like better in a way because you can see the backgrounds very clearly when you turn the 3D off. Mm-hmm. Like they come into, they come into focus, whereas when the 3D is on, they get very fuzzy. They're and it was blurred, just a, yeah. Yeah, it was a weird. I know it's like supposed to be like you know like you know the focus of the lens of a camera or something, but it's a very weird decision to me. Mm-hmm. Like where it's like I'm sort of like I'm testing every background, like turning the 3D off to see like, oh, that looks really nice. I like all the details in there. It's too bad I can't see them when I'm playing the game with its all its features on. Plus, it's you know, just, you get a you, your frame rate gets capped. As, that's my understanding of it. When you use 3D, you can hmm. you'll know you'll notice it in more high intensive games. If you turn 3D completely off, you get a, you oh, get a much more if, consistent frame rate. Like uh, yep. the, I think the best example has to be the Resident Evil Revelations. Oh yeah. When you get in a elevator in that game. Yeah. Do you guys experience as? Did you experience yeah. this? Yeah, of course. Like, it would almost shut down. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> it stutters pretty badly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's where you can really see. That. I mean, that's. I still feel that game was the one that was really pushing the limits of the system because I mean, it looks like a current gen console like you know not that good but i mean it still like gave the appearance of it best as it could like i was playing like resident evil you know four or five or something Mm. on my ds but yeah that's the one where you could really see sort of although i didn't try it with the 3d off to see if it would make it better no Mm -hmm. i don't think so i think just you know i just did in any case okay just bad coding basically yeah they should have i don't know put a loading screen or something would have been yep. better than this. Well, there's many ways they could have gotten around it. They just didn't. Typical Capcom. Well, well I still, <laughs> it's still a pretty good game, so I'm not complaining. Sure, sure. I'm not disparaging the game, just the technical parts of it. <laughs> I'm just vomiting on it. Hey, I thought, I think, okay, we can we can have this out. Azil, <laughs> you think Capcom's a great company still? Yeah. I think Capcom was a great company once. And it is... <laughs> Since falling on hard times, you can just say you don't think it's a great company. <laughs> I think they've made a bunch of mistakes, and I've I've not really been excited about a Capcom game in a long time. But think about it: back in the NES days and SNES days, they like ruled the roost, independent of Nintendo. It was like Nintendo and like Capcom, and then everybody else. You know, they made some amazing mm-hmm. stuff. So, well, I mean, I don't think you can. You know, back in the day, Nintendo ruled the roost, and you know, it's just you can't. You know, more competitors have come up. So sure. I don't know that that's all Capcom's mistake. But, I mean, I know what you mean about, I mean, Capcom has plenty of critics and there's, you know, I joke about them too. But, I mean, they still, to me, they still make, like, very, very good games. Even if, yeah. you know, they, yeah, that's what it comes down to. It's sort of like you have to, you have to take that bad with uh, with all the good. You know, it's like these are games I, I, I pass up on a lot of games and, you know, a lot of good ones. But, I mean, they make ones that I still feel like, wow, I can't pass up on that. You know, and I'm not just talking about their Mega Man nostalgia games that they make. I mean, 
Yeah, like Resident Evil Revelations. I mean, I still feel like they're the ones that pushed the envelope on the DS further than like anything I've seen from Nintendo. Yep. <laughs> so it's sort of, I don't know, I mean, I, I have to give them credit, you know, for that. And, uh, and you know, games like Resident Evil 4, like I didn't like 5 that much, and, you know, the, I guess, the, you know, the jury is still out on 6. Yep. But it, it obviously looks like it's very promising. But uh, Resident Evil 4 is incredible, like, no question. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing game. So it's like, I don't know how you can yeah. just you know, sort of hark back to the Nintendo days on, uh, for that. Because, yeah, 4 was amazing. I, I just think they've made, they've made a lot of missteps recently. Like, I mean, take for example, I'm just going to say Bionic Commando, which they then blamed on Grin. Uh, and then, uh, what was it? Uh, what's the zombie game they have? Resident Evil. <laughs> oh no, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, I know you, you mean the uh, the the one three. in the mall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, photojournalist and the, yeah, they made a sequel to it, and then they made a sequel to the sequel where you you just play as Frank West in the same scenario, and they released that as a full price game instead of like you know a downloadable character pack or something like that. They yeah. just made a lot of unfriendly decisions recently. Oh, I, the whole Street Fighter uh, charging for. Uh, a whole a whole different edition with the addition of four extra characters. Well, this very- is the this is uh this is no, about, this is the old complaint about you know as nerd yeah. would say they keep making the same damn game again. <laughs> no, no, uh, uh, the issue isn't the fact that they're stuck in Street Fighter mode or Resident Evil mode. It's that they're releasing these games as full release titles when they're only making minor additions to them. You know, they're basically well, casting. Zephyr mean, has been doing that. It's not new. I mean. Yeah, I mean, they, they were doing that on the Super NES as well. Okay, well, I mean, let, let's uh, differentiate a little bit then. You think they're, they make good games still. You just think they're basically like a bad company at this point. They're very predatory in their practices. Like, yeah, I don't like that stuff either, you know, just yeah. on principle. Nobody likes it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's, it's lazy and it's also very, you know, very sleazy. I just think, in, in that perspective, there's some of the worst, and I, I wish they were a little bit more ambitious. Although they have been getting a little better, I would say. I think what was the newest RPG they came out with? It apparently, is very ambitious. Looks pretty cool. Uh, I don't know. There's Dragon Dogma, but uh, yeah, it doesn't done as well as it could have. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty ambitious. Yeah. Well, the, the, I think you know. I think for for Jap- for Japanese developers, they're not doing too bad, honestly. Yeah, I hope they can stay afloat. Um, At least Dragon's Dogma did well enough to do a sequel, though. That's nice. Oh, cool. Well, you know, and on the Nintendo DS, they did a um, you know quite a few cool titles, like you know the Phoenix Wright uh, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that series, and um, they did also the thing with the Ghost Detective. I fucking forgot the name. Phantom Trick or something like that. Ghost right. Trick. Yeah, <clears throat> it's called Ghost Ghost Trick. Yeah, it was very neat. I really liked it a lot. And there's the ones who did uh, Okami before, you know, Platinum Games uh, split and such a thing. So, yeah, I think uh, I think they're still doing, you know, some nice stuff. And even though Resident Evil 5 wasn't as good as some people wished it to be, uh, it wasn't a terrible game. So, I think in many ways they're still uh, they're still pretty good. They are, you know, even as far as Monster Hunter goes, you know, not not a lot of not everybody likes it, but uh, it's still. Uh, or a huge series in Japan, so... Wait, which series? Resident Evil, you said? Uh, Monster Hunter. Oh, Monster Hunter. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have an opinion about it one way or the other, because I've never played one, so... But it's, it's a very, I don't know what to say, maybe old school, in, as far as the gameplay goes. Hmm. 
Uh, I guess we'll move on to user questions. Why do I call them user questions? They're member questions. They're not users. They're not users of like a program or something. So <laughs> member questions. Uh, we got a couple, not very many. So it'll actually, I think we only have two. <laughs> so <laughs> three, three, three. We'll be quick. Uh, incantation asks, I can always count on incantation to ask a question. He asks a uh, three-part one. Uh, okay. Four, Four-part one. Never mind. This won't be long. It won't be short at all. So, <laughs> do you go on treks, hikes, climbs, indulge in outdoor activities? For oh, me, I've already I, answered this. That's right. As you you're yeah. already done. Yeah. I, I used to, uh, when we lived out in Nashville, there was an awesome hiking trail very nearby. But now I'm, I'm too lazy to go find decent walking trails because we're on a peninsula and there's not really anywhere you can walk. It's not like a neighborhood or a public park. It's kind of shitty. So, no, not for me. Not recently. Yeah, the answer for me is like I used to I used to run very regularly, like but this was years ago. <laughs> now I've I've also developed into a very lazy man that sort of needs like a lot of uh, a lot of rest time. Like I, I appreciate my downtime and you know my R and R. So like yeah, I even basic uh, sort of hiking and things like I haven't I don't find a lot of time for anymore. Yeah. Uh, movie of the year, movie of the year so far. I, I don't think I've seen anything I would designate as movie of the year, unless I'm forgetting something. Nothing's really blown me away. Mm, yeah, me, nope. me neither. I'm trying to think. Like, uh, I feel like I've seen Prometheus? something that, huh? Prometheus. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved all the like deep questions I could make up about it, but that it didn't answer. Uh, like, I don't know. I'm I haven't seen that many movies this year. I'm trying to think of what I went to see besides Prometheus and uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Avengers and... Oh, um... Here, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, I don't know. And, like, I'm sort of... I feel like The Dark Knight oh. Rises by default. <laughs> like... I think I think I enjoyed Cabin in the Woods probably the most, but oh, I... Oh, you know what? I still haven't seen that. You should... Damn it, dude. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> you, in particular, should see that movie. <laughs> um... <laughs> It's not movie of the year material, but it's really a fun movie. Yeah, it's pretty it's fun. Like horror movies. Oh, you saw it at Seal? Yeah, I saw it like uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Oh, uh, two days ago. Yeah, yeah, it was neat. But I, I wasn't blown away or anything. Maybe I, I had uh, high expectations well, then, for it. But uh, yeah, but, blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you were like me. Like you can pretty much see where the movie's going within the first like ten minutes, basically. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, but hey! <laughs> you'll 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 be the same way by your own observation. You won't be left out in the dark. It's just right. a fun movie, so yeah, it's pretty neat. Well, do you guys have an answer? Even like, I don't know. Part of me, like, I might even pick Prometheus at this point, even though like I didn't like it like as much as I wanted to, just because it's like you know it had it had neat stuff, and I didn't see much else. The winner oh, by I, uh, winner by I don't know. I'd rather name the Avengers, you know, than Prometheus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm that's why I'm I'm sort of settling on the Dark Knight Rises by default because you know, I'd yeah, it's sort of. I feel like it's in between those two. Yeah, I guess. Um, music album of the year so far. <laughs> oh, man, I don't have any idea. Yeah, Honestly, <laughs> I'm listening to a lot of modern music. I guess I don't really know. Griff, you know music better than anybody else. No, I don't. <laughs> Berserk, uh, Berserk album two. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't listen to a lot of like new album. Like albums, like aren't even. I don't know. People don't even listen to albums anymore, do they? I, 
I certainly don't anymore. Now I'm listening mostly to music on YouTube. It's a lot of like, you know, again, I'm yeah. using the word user created, you know, content, you know, like, like just, uh, Fire per- paint. <laughs> Mario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a Mario Paint version of the Zelda Two Town theme that I really yeah. like. Yeah, <laughs> that would be Az's favorite song of this year. <laughs> the latest remix of the Zelda Two Town music <laughs> on Mario Paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I admit, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty neat. There's a song. There's a song by Risque called "Smell Yo Dick." <laughs> it's, it's very good. But he says that's not from this year. He says he's three years old. Oh yeah, like I said, it's pretty old. Okay. I, guess, I don't know. I guess album of the year would have to be the many parodies of uh, someone that you used to know. Like, there's, I think there's about like a double disc version, like or enough material for a two disc version of like parodies of that damn song on everyone YouTube. Was, everyone was flipping out about the Star Wars version. I didn't think it was particularly funny. Or like, I got ha- I got halfway through it, and then I was like, this is this is. I saw the terrible Lucas that they didn't even yeah. like. They couldn't have someone grow a beard, you know, and dye it white, or or do young Lucas, you know. I mean, I don't know. It yeah. was, and yeah, everyone was saying, oh, this is so funny. And it's like, I watched the first minute of it, and it was like, well, this, I can see this isn't really funny. It, it yeah. could have been funny, but it was not funny or clever at all. Yeah. I, this is just like, this is very basic. Like, hey, we're replacing parts of the yeah. song with Star see Wars. See what we did here? So it's funny, right? And it's like, no, this isn't funny. <laughs> this is just. You didn't execute replaced. it. You just had the concept, is all you did. Yeah, this is just the concept being executed yeah. at the most basic level. Yep. Yeah. Next question, is there any one item or more from Berserk you would actually buy if it were one-to-one scale? I thought about this. Um, if there were – first of all, the answer is no. Uh, I would I would buy I, everything from Berserk at one-to-one scale if it was like a dollar. I mean, you know, I mean there has to be sort of a price issue. I assume yeah. it's like really expensive. Well, to, to me, it's not even that. Like I could probably save up and get one of the busts if I really wanted to. I just don't – that's just not my thing. I don't need to have like a physical – like think me honestly owning the books is enough for me I'll just refer yeah. to them and I'm happy with that but if I had to like in the back of my mind I think it would be really cool to have yeah. Skullmite's sword I think that would be really cool looking but that's about it and that's unrealistic I would never actually like have a sword in my house you know it's I'm gonna buy a, a white horse <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> yeah, <be> like <laughs> I want Skullmite's horse one to one yeah zombie horse I don't know. It's like I've had to learn the hard way and pay a lot of money to discover about myself that even though like you, like you think like, oh man, that would be really cool to have. But it's it's not. It just collects dust, at least for me. Like for some people, I'm sure it's like very cool to have. But it's like my statues and my berserk memorabilia other than the manga. It's like it just – it collect, I just have to dust it off every couple of months and that's all I get out of it. So yeah. yeah so My Lost Children statue spent more time in a box than anything. Because I was just moving around with it, and it was no fun. Yeah, I put some back in the box to get so they wouldn't get dusty anymore. <laughs> there you go. See, dust. Yeah. Uh, Azil, I think the question got stripped from you. You weren't allowed to answer this question. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not for you. <laughs> so I keep quiet. You, you already, you already own all Berserk one-to-one memorabilia. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah, nah, well, yeah, it's a monetary issue mostly. I mean, I'm not made out of gold, so. I can't, and also I don't have the the place, you know. I mean, I'd I'd need to have a mansion to to store that shit. But yeah, I'd like to have I don't know, maybe a replica of the Dragon Slayer, or or maybe I don't know the Skull Knight's armor or something like that. Because when you uh, say when when you say like Berserk replica one to one ratio, like the thing that comes to mind to me is the Dragon Slayer. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's What's, cool. That would you actually want that? That's like yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I can understand. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's a very. It'd be a pain in the ass, but. <laughs> And oh. it's very nerdy. I mean, people come at, come at your place and they sit and like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I already have a bust of the Skull Knight overlooking my bedroom, you know, so. <laughs> and I guess. And I, guess I didn't know it was in your bedroom. I, I, yeah. I hope it's not like hanging from the ceiling or anything. <laughs> no, but it is uh, over, overlooking the bedroom and it's in a, in a high place. So it's pretty much just looking at the bed, you know. It's like, right. <laughs> Go on, so, I'm watching. But yeah, so do you ever wake up like in Volume Nine when when Gus turns around as like a skull guy behind him and you're like freaking out? <laughs> or do uh, the eyes? Does it ever seem like the eyes are glowing? <laughs> like so, you know, I can, yeah, they can glow. So yeah, yeah. I can. Uh, you know, it's too bad they're not bright enough to read. You know, by the light, but uh, yeah, they can glow. It's, no, it's, 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 it's pretty it's cool. It's like lighting, isn't it? Like a a black light. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bad, bad idea in the bedroom, by the way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a it's a good thing uh, my wife's into Berserk because otherwise, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be scared of something. <laughs> Not fly in most relationships. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I like that stuff. I mean, yeah, I don't. know. I wouldn't cover my my whole house in uh, in you know statues and stuff. But right. uh, I, I do I, have. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say I do have quite a few, and uh, yeah, and they're visible, so I don't know. I'm fine with it. Independent of physical merchandise like that, I think you have one of the cooler collections in terms of comprehensive stuff, because you have like pretty much not every, but almost every young animal like of individual episodes, like yeah. even dating back to like the '80s and stuff, or that, sorry, the '90s. That's pretty freaking awesome. Well, yeah, but I still uh, I still miss many of them. Uh, actually, I don't know. It's I know it's uh, it's weird, but uh, I'm more interested in collecting young animals than I am in collecting uh, statues and stuff. Because no, uh, I, that, though. I totally understand that because like it's the original. You know what I mean? It's how it yeah. originally was printed. That's cool stuff. I, I can respect that. Yeah. So well, yeah, go ahead, Doug Griff. The the coolest thing I thought I ever saw merchandise wise were those original like the drawings by uh, Mura. Yeah, Remember, weren't yeah. those up for on a Yahoo auction or something? Like, and they were big too, like the big ink, uh, right. ink drawings. It's like yeah. I remember. I think we talked about that as it was like just a matter of sort of money. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, if, like if only. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, I I couldn't buy them because uh, yeah, I didn't have enough money, and uh, yeah, it's still a regret to me. And uh, yeah, <laughs> how much were they going for? Do you remember like a ballpark estimate of how much they were going? Uh, for? I don't, I don't remember. But I, I, I think missed... it was like five to eight hundred dollars. That's what I would yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was something where it's like it seemed like wow, if I had enough, to, you know, you could buy it. It wasn't like, but it would it would it's hard to justify realistically. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I've missed. Uh, you know, the clo- the cheapest one I've missed must have been one of the, you know, uh, what's it's called the lithographs. You know, uh, signed by Mira, and I think uh, I missed ones that went for maybe three hundred and fifty bucks. So yeah, but you know it's three hundred and fifty. Then there's a commission from the guy that's getting it from you. Then there's shipping. So yeah. it's more than it's more than uh, four hundred in the end. But yeah, st- still, uh, I I really regretted that. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff that I, I'd really like to get. Uh, anything by Mura himself. But yeah, right. I mean, it's just a question of money. So that's it. 
Next question from Rodrigo. Uh, do you wish that Miura would someday go back and redraw the Black Swordsman and Golden Age arcs? Why, why are we stopping there? What? Applying his modern techniques and knowledge so that those early volumes art would be more in line with his more matured and contemporary art style. Well, I mean, I, I think I guess this is one of those questions where it's like, there's no, it's not a stupid question. It's just a wrong question because, I mean, Azil's, yeah. uh, Azil's, Miura's, wow, Miura's <laughs> art has. You let out the you let out the secret. Yeah, a zillion <laughs> slip there. Um, the art's been developing over time. It's always evolving. The, yeah. the art we see now is going to evolve in five years. So I mean, it's like it seems arbitrary to pick a yeah. part you'd like to see redrawn yeah. with a style that will ultimately then, be outdated. Quote yeah, unquote. well, then the middle would look weird, you know, because it yeah. would be like the beginning would look like the end, and the end would, you know, or yeah. you know, would look like this part. So yeah, just you know, I like that natural. It's as it makes as much sense now as it could ever make because it's yeah. you know, it's a natural progression. Yeah, and I like I, I, I like. I like the fact that his design at the time is captured with the time of that in the series. You know, it's like it, it reflects his style at the time. I mean, I wouldn't want it any other way, honestly. Well, yeah. and actually, as we discussed before, like the first volumes are actually like arbitrarily a little bit worse than he could do because he was also doing those uh, Japan and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he was also doing yeah. those other things where he, like he was doing like he was doing his best work for those, you know, sort of self-sacrificing as we discussed, like very sort of a humble thing to do, like putting his best into that. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, the Berserk suffered. But so it, it's, it makes it interesting to me, though, because you actually get an even more like it shows him like an even more sort of pared down, like, you know, getting, you know, getting the basics done, like whatever he had to do to finish it, you know, style versus how detailed, how much it's flowered, you know, since then. Right. And you know, he's yeah. really been able to put, you know, literally take months off working on it, you know. So well, not and, off, and, but I mean, take months to do it. To, to a direct point to, to, to what Griff said is I would never want Miura to take time off of anything new he's creating to go back and do something old. Yeah. Like, I Unless would want he was to, done. <laughs> no, even if he's done, I want him to work on something new, like a new series. Yeah. You know? can, yeah I, I can I modify that question to uh, – well, let me modify my answer, I'll say. Okay. I'd like to – I would like to see him draw like as a – like uh, you know, sort of like what he did with these three issues just recently. Do the Berserk Dreamcast game. I think that would be neat. Like if he like sure. drew it out, I think that would be cool. Yeah, I agree. Sort of it's a like perfect. A that's a perfect segue into the next question. All right. What is the greatest video game weapon, or just some of the ones you guys think are great and memorable? I was going to mention Slayer. the Dragon Slayer because <laughs> it is in uh, the Dreamcast game. It's, it, it feels very powerful and effective. Like either the sound it makes, you know, like vroom, heavy sound. To it, it's just it's a, it's a fun weapon, and guys go flying and stuff. It's so. also a better explanation for why you have a one-to-one ratio replica of it in your house. You just say, "Oh, it's from a video game." <laughs> <laughs> but my actually that that was the one that came to mind whenever uh, you said Dreamcast game. But my original answer was going to be the double the double-barreled shotgun in Doom Two was going to be my no. video game weapon. I think I just the old sins. I would say it's a BFG nine thousand. You know. <laughs> The greatest. That's the one I use that the least, though. In the entire game, though, the double barreled shotgun is like very reliable. Uh, you know? I use I use it a, a lot uh, during death matches. <laughs> during during death, de- yeah. yeah, yeah, man. You know, I, I used to play with my, you know, a good friend of mine, and yeah. uh, we we played uh, together a lot. And uh, he he was a fan of the rocket launcher. You know, he really liked it, and he yeah. really he was pretty good with it. 
And you know, I, I had you know, I often crept behind him with the BFG, and uh, I just you know, he he heard the, the noise, you know, the charging noise, <laughs> and he started running. And you know, once it's you know, once he's running, it's like, yeah. and yeah, every time, and he would be you know scared, you know, the fuck out. And it was you know, it was pretty good. I also I also love the the super shotgun, but uh, yeah, the BFG is just it's the most powerful one. So I guess I'd go with that. I would say, like, just to sort of in line with it. By the way, that's a great story. Yes, <laughs> like that's a good, that's a perfect little love letter for the BFG and why you like it. Yeah. Like, I think I like it more now just after hearing that. But uh, just the idea of someone hearing that noise. Uh, but I just think the shotgun itself, like in any game, I think the shotgun is a favorite weapon, even in real life. <laughs> you know, yeah. Everyone looks fondly on the shotgun. It's pretty universal. My one of my dad's big regrets actually was he had a. He he could have bought this. Uh, you know the shotgun in Jurassic Park that uh, what's his face uses. What's the, uh, yeah, vaguely. Yeah, he, but it's like an Italian assault shotgun with one of those fo- with like a fold-out stock. And like my dad could have bought one of those before they were illegal. Mm. And he he still regrets to this day that he did not do it, just because you know. And we just discuss about like I don't know, just weapon-wise, like how much damage those can do, <laughs> like. <'cause, laughs> yeah. Those assault shotguns, like, you know, forget machine guns, like, those things will really make a mess. <laughs> so, I don't know, yeah, just the, in any game, I gravitate toward. if it has a shotgun, I kind of gravitate towards it. Yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, that's why I played the Mass Effect character that I did, because they prioritized shotgun in that class. Yeah. Um, to me, the answer to this question is, like, you know, any kind of weapon or ability that makes you feel powerful is like the right answer to this. And you know, that's what I was trying to think of at first. Like, what's the most powerful sort of feeling weapon well, you've had well, in a game? One of the other ones that came to mind to me was <clears throat> um, Zelda Three when you get the Master Sword and the, when you first the first time you get it, uh, and you can just you know enemies that used to take two or three hits you can kill in one hit. It's an amazing feeling of power in that part of the game. Of course, the enemies yeah. ultimately scale up to make it equate, yeah. but for a time. Super badass. Here's an interesting one uh, that you made me think. Knights of Round from Final Fantasy VII. I remember people uh, used to discuss that, like you know, at school. They'd be like, "Oh, you got that one," <laughs> you know, and everything. Like, I don't know. It was I've, just a. It was a big deal at the time. I have never actually gotten that summon. I've seen really? of it. Yeah, I've never. I never wanted to put that much effort into it because at the time, my opinion of the game had already soured, basically. So. I don't uh, even remember how how you get it. <laughs> I think you have to. Do you have to get it in the battle arena or something? Or I thought you had to get the golden chocobo and like go to us, do all this bullshit breeding in order to get to where it is. Hmm, maybe. You know, I, I, uh, oh yeah, maybe the final attack is what you get at the arena. I don't remember. It's like been a long time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was too much of a hassle. So whenever I first saw Knights of the Round, it was through. Like a you know a two hundred by one twenty window you know video download, <laughs> like nineteen ninety eight like you know could barely see anything. It's just lights flashing. Got it off like Morpheus like next or Kazal like <laughs> next to some porn videos. Like also get the nice around video. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice <laughs> around video dot xxx dot avi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's true. I remember the first time I used it. You know. And uh, I was just amazed at, uh, yeah, at it. It was really awesome. Yeah, the power. You know, it just it had that feeling of power. You know, I, I, I remember because I think, uh, you know, the other, you know, attacks, they do, like, a lot of damage all at once. And this one just does one hit, then another hit as each knight, you know, goes to strike the, the enemy. 
And I was like, what? This isn't much. And then, duck, duck. You know, they pile up, pile up, pile up to do a lot of damage. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> but actually, I think if I had to say uh, from Final Fantasy, the coolest summon, it would have to be Odin, you know? Right. Probably. When, he's, yeah. just, when he's just slashing the guys, you know? And, of course, the coolest part is in the Final Fantasy VIII, when, yeah. uh, you know, you Odin is summoned automatically against uh, whatever, you know, Cypher, I think the guys, you know, the bad guy is called. And mm -hmm. Cypher actually, you know, slashes Odin half. Then the battle continues, and then there's Gilgamesh, who appears <laughs> out, of a, out of nowhere, you know, uh, say, redeems Odin's sword, and then, you know, goes and defeats the enemy. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I think it's the <laughs> coolest, you know, thing I've ever experienced in a Final Fantasy game. Hmm. Well, that trumps what I was going to say. I was going to say another of my favorite video game weapons is uh, the Atma weapon from FF6, which gets bigger with your health. And ultimately, oh, yeah. it's like four times the yeah. size of you on the screen. It's just massive, like, lightsaber-looking thing. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, was going to mention just about, because you brought up Final Fantasy VIII, the summons in that game were very impressive-looking. Uh, yeah. like, I remember Leviathan and everything. Seven was yeah. the first one that, you know, sort of did those over-the-top like literally unskippable, like you know, two right. minute summon animations. <laughs> yeah. Or even like the basic ones that you first get, like Ifrit and uh, oh, what's, who's, the, who's the lightning guy? I forget. Rayma, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even I those know. ones were very impressive. I'm I'm thinking of a cool weapon. Also, it's a uh, the vampire killer from Castlevania. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. yeah. Like the very beginning, like with Castlevania One, even like you know the fact that it changes length and stuff like that. Yeah, when he's changed, because it has this giant hitbox, like it's just huge, basically for a Nintendo game. It was the time it was very unique. Yeah, compared it, to like, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's pretty unique to use a whip, you know, as a weapon. Yeah. It's it's not done very often. At the time, it wasn't done, you know. Right. By the way, great question. This is like turned into a topic. <laughs> like, it is a good question. Thank you, Colin. Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, by the way, worst. Uh, I want to add another question real quick for you guys. Now that we're talking about Castlevania, worst jump in any video game, worst jump ability. Let me put it that way. Oh, oh. that's hard. Uh, Shadow of <laughs> the not, Beast. It's not hard at all. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Simon Belmont. Oh yeah, you mean the character? Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah. I don't know. I, why, worst jump. I've watched like so many like angry nerd videos that I feel like I haven't played the games with the worst jumps that because he's chronicled many where it's just where it, it looks like it's beyond like you can literally see him push the button and he'll like yeah. have the screen like like with his hand in the same shot and you'll see the delay and it's just terrible. You know, I, actually, Limbo. one of Limbo the games a terrible jump. One of one of the games that pissed me off the most, as far as jumps go, is uh, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES. You know, oh. when when you're oh, in the yeah. when you're in the fucking sewers and you have to jump yes. to get and you always fall down to your death. Fuck oh. this game. Fuck this well, game. The angry video game nerd had a little video about that particular that's, one. That's like what made him famous. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. I remember like laughing my ass off at that because all I had to do was basically fall. Like you're not supposed to jump; you're supposed to just like fall across it. <laughs> yeah, after true. he was trying to jump over it a million, the trying to jump it is what made you fall through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but he also through. made the point. You know, why can't a turtle swim in these games? You know, you always <laughs> fall in the water and die. Yeah, and I guess that's the end for the show. Fun time, guys. Get on that <laughs> Zerk.
Young Animal merchandise, I'm sure it's going to go flying off the shelves. The <laughs> handkerchief, the Behirat, and the uh, postcards. So, exciting stuff. You can dirty that up. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess we'll uh, t- talk to you guys later, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Yeah. See ya. Signing off. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> no, it's because uh, you are yeah you're breaking up and everything, so you know <laughs> you're breaking bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're breaking up pretty badly, so I'm just gonna you know, take my leave. I can't. Hey, I was just gonna say. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, your wife must really love you, Walter. Like, <laughs> you know, if you cook all the time and actually like doing it. I do. <laughs> and that's the end. Well, <laughs> all right. See ya, guys. I've got to go. Bye. See ya. The end.